Hey everyone, Daniel here. Thank you all so much for checking out this best of season two compilation or the best TT of STT as we like to call it. 2021 has been such a wild ride for us and we thank each and every one of you for being a part of it. Whether you've been with us since season one or you're just joining us for the first time, we sincerely can't thank you enough for helping us with this silly little project of ours that is somehow unbelievably entering its third year. Now, if you're new here and you're looking for the season two wrap up, that's something a little different. That's where we recap the season that was, talk about who got bobbed and hand out those coveted Tony Awards. Uh, you can find a preview of each season's wrap up on the main feed. But if you want the full uncut version, consider sliding us just five bucks a month over at patreon.com slash setting the tone podcast. You'll get not only the uncut season wrap up episodes, you'll also get some movie reviews flash forwards where we do a commentary track for future er episodes as well as some main character retrospectives and a few other surprises who knows it's all over there at patreon.com slash setting the tone podcast now this episode here this is going to be all about the best moments the funniest bits all those times where we accidentally made a point while covering season two special shout out goes to basic strawberry over on the er discord without whom you would not be hearing this one final note before we close this year out just want to wish everybody a safe, happy, and healthy holiday season, and best wishes as we head into 2022. 2021, maybe not quite as bad as 2020, but still not the best we can do. Let's try and see if we can maybe make 2022 just a little bit better than 2021. And you may even hear from some of the other members of the extended STT family as we go along here. But for now, let's settle in for the best TT of STT, season two. But uh, we continue that one shot uh, through the whole ER to meet to check in with all of our main characters except Carter, and we got Susan ch uh, looking looking very cute with her short hair and you know just kind of going through. I think uh, Carol got Carol in there. You got a little bit of everyone in there, and then the first cut isn't until uh, Benton is clipped by one of the um, what by a gurney that's being brought in by a paramedic and falls to the floor. So, but I think it's like a solid like minute, minute and a half of just a I one think, shot. I think a minute. Which, yeah. that had to be a bitch to shoot. The coordination Oof. of it. Yeah, definitely doing a good job of bringing us back into the, the environment and bringing us back into like kind of the, the hectic, chaotic nature of the ER. Um, really sets sets the tone for season two. Hey, um, we actually get that. We get a name drop of our <laughs> podcast in this episode, an audio clip later, so... Let's see how this goes. Um, and then we come into the crowded waiting room with a woman in a yellow dress talking to Jerry, and she's just talking his ear off. We had passed her earlier in the episode, like, in the one shot that they did, and she's just stream of consciousness talking to him about the most random, just whatever comes to mind she's talking about. And Jerry cannot be fucked with this right now. He is just so done. Um, it looks like the air conditioning is broken again. We see people working up in the HVAC stuff got a lot of guys up on ladders and some real great visuals right daniel <laughs> yeah there is an hd butt crack right near jerry's head from one of the ac repair guys mm. like he's got full plumber butt 
and it is just like front and center right next to Jerry's ear and it's just you know it's perfect maybe one of those details you don't necessarily count on seeing and yeah in yeah. lovely 1080p definition yep and Jerry's just wondering where the hell psych is for this woman like she's got a hurt leg but clearly she's a psych patient and yeah she's bipolar but she's got they mentioned something is up with her leg but um it's not super critical at the moment so we're gonna she's gonna be a, a through patient for this episode not a very like crucial one but she comes back a few times i mean you say she's not crucial but i've i've got a little tidbit about her at the end that I, like we'll, we'll save it for the end of the episode for when we finish with her that i'm like i don't under i don't fully understand about her whole thing but we'll, we'll get there of course you do daniel <laughs> um and but from there we've got some new medical students some new blood coming in um only one of them you really need to pay attention to the rest of them are very much filler just kind of like kind of like the ones we had at the um season one finale like remember we had that little group of medical students that carter was laughing at all those were filler but this one we do actually have somebody that we have to pay attention to at least for a little while um harper tracy who's kind of the pretty blonde one at the front who's offering to take a history when she's clearly never taken one before she's she's going to be with us for a little while um she's kind of a semi permanent character for this season um i don't even know if she may don't think she makes it out of season two she's in 15 episodes total um so she's going to be with us um i think for a big chunk of season two at least um and she's kind of a curious one to me like i'm curious to see how i feel about her on this go around because i remember from the first go around that she was pretty forgettable like there wasn't a, a lot for me to sink my teeth into with with harper so i'm interested to see if that changes on this go around yeah i remember i think she, doesn't she have like a little fling or something with like Carter or something. I, I believe so. Exactly. This is this is definitely during the the stretch of the show where they are trying to make Carter a heartthrob. Like they're trying to like make him the like male interest because we all know Green ain't doing it. Um, so you know they're Rude. they're like we need a we need a hot male lead who ha- sleeps with all the women. That's not Clooney. Uh, I was about to say yeah, Clooney's got that. I mean yeah, but like you know they've already kind of got Clooney paired off. Like we know where Clooney's gonna go um eventually it's true but so yeah that that's what i think her main focus is yeah but i also gotta say she just looks quintessential 90s just the entire aesthetic like just look up a picture of her or watch this episode doesn't doesn't she have her bun in a scrunchie something like that and she has five earrings in her right ear alone (laughs) and it's just her lab coat should be flannel yeah yes she looks like she was <laughs> pl- the dream yeah she looks like she was just plucked out of like the grunge scene but and but thrown in a lab, up and thrown in a lab code but yeah. like the rest of it grunge chic we enter carrie motherfucking weaver yes Woo! she only has a little bit of a little scene uh which you're gonna play the audio for you but where she meets uh, Mark for the first time, but just two of the heaviest hitters and one of the best storylines in the entire series coming along. So let's hear her first words. Uh, Dr. Green, heard a lot of great things about you. I'm uh, Carrie Weaver. Oh, hi. Hi, I'm Mark. Uh, sit down. Oh, oh. <clears throat> yeah. Just- Eating something. 
So, uh, Morgenstern says you're gonna need a lot of help around here. Really? Gonna finish those fries? Oh, no. So, when do I start? <laughs> Just badass bitch straight from the beginning. Mm. <sighs> I, I forgot how much I loved her, and then she showed up. I remember hating her. Oh, yeah. On her first yeah. run, like, when I was younger. I hated her so much. The point much. is to hate her. I know. But now I watch it, and I'm like, I love her. She's Be- so great. Because she's she's the fucking antagonist of this season. That's true. For, for Mark, and especially for Doug. But she's so good. She's exactly complimenting their weaknesses, and that's why she's such a foil. Yeah. Yep. And I love her. Because she don't take no shit. Even just hearing her voice again was nice. Like, yeah. Just that the her very distinct voice and and like not not only voice but like the way she talks was just very it was like comforting. Yeah. How do you like those fashion choices, Lauren? Oh, do I really want to get into it? <laughs> yeah, you uh, do. It's okay. your thing. No, I mean the specific note I had on our thing. Oh yeah. No, um. It's... No, with those with those straight bangs and that vest, how did nobody call she was a lesbian until season <laughs> what five? Oh, it's way later than that. It's later than that. Yeah. yeah. How did no one fucking call that? How did she not even know with that fashion choice? Like, speaking as your resident butch over here, like, <laughs> at some point you just know. Yeah, that, that vest is something else. It looks like she got it straight out of the Sears mom catalog. That gives Rachel's sweater from the pilot a run for its uh. money. Then we come into the closing scene of the episode with some Boo Linton. Uh... <laughs> Oh no! Oh, oh dear! Oh dear! Uh, Jeannie and Benton are in bed together, uh, naked, in the dark. They uh, they had some uh, some postcoital nap times. <laughs> <laughs> it is now almost midnight. Uh, Jeannie is a little frantic frantic because uh, Mr. Boulet gets off in ten minutes. So uh, way to be a stand up gentleman there, Benton. Letting your married lady fall asleep. He she did, was comfortable. He doesn't even really care. Like he's very exactly. He's very like aloof about it. He's just like, eh, whatever. Like, why don't you no, stay? That's t- like that. That's not my uh, like. Kind of like giving off the vibe that that's not his problem. Yeah. Like, not doesn't explicitly say that, but but then she she's she drops an "I love you" on him. She's like, "I'm sorry, I have to go. I love you." Yeah, just very. Very faintly and very sweetly, and then Benton says nothing, just stares her back at her, and then she leaves. Yeah, with his taco meat chest hair. Ugh. God, <laughs> I, I, I hate his chest hair. His chest hair is a little upsetting. Uh, yes. I didn't even notice it. It was the first thing I noticed. <laughs> it was, of course, it was. Like when we, you yell at me for suspenders, but you pick like khaki dicks and suspend <laughs> and and uh, and um. Just and we open this episode with uh, Carol. She's doing her ride along with Shep and Raul from our from the last episode that was mentioned. Um, and I'm going to um, I'm going to take take some issue. You know, everyone's pedantic about different things on the show. That's why you love us. Why you listen to us. Um, mine is Chicago geography, and. I think it's Shep who says, oh, yeah, they're running to Humble Park at California and Division, which is what it's west. 
of the city. It's a little, little north and mostly west, um, which was a which used to be a more a rougher neighborhood than it is. So their their caution with I don't know if it was bad enough to warrant um, bulletproof vests like they're like they are putting on, um, but in the shot they are clearly. At Wabash and I think Van Buren is the cross street, if I remember correctly, um, which is an awesome shot, you know, to, to get because that street runs because Wabash runs right along under the L, um, so you get a really nice little view. You get a really nice little view there from a cinematography perspective, but you can clearly see the Harold Washington Library in the background, which is very much in the core of downtown. <laughs> so they are very much in the loop. And I will shut up about this now. But <laughs> So from there, we get some spicy, spicy Bulentin. Um, Jeannie and Peter are outside of the surgical um, room, tr- the surgical room, the operating room. And they're kind of side-eye trying to figure out when they're going to hook up in there later that night. And... Jeannie's like, well, I don't get out of class until 7, and, you know, Al gets home at 10, and Ben's like, well, why don't you come by about 8? And then, like, somebody comes, some someone comes by, and they're awkward, and Jeannie awkwardly goes, well, I recommend physical therapy, and blah, 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 like, they're clearly trying to make it talk like they were talking about work, and it's just, it's so bald-faced, and so fucking stupid, and just ridiculous, and so, all of a sudden, another great mo- moment of physical comedy from Carter um Morgan's like why don't you go try and find Benton and so Carter goes (laughs) and like sees him at the door of the surgical suite and he can't go out because he's sterilized and he can't knock because he's sterilized so he's sitting there with his both his hands up like just like a just up so they're out of the way of anything and he just starts hitting his forehead on the glass of the door (laughs) to get Benton's attention and Benton's like oh fuck I gotta go we'll figure it out Kind of just kicked it. Had to be his head. To be he head bunk. And then smacks the door right into Carter's face, which yep, another added little touch that's just brilliant between those two. So good. So then we cut over um, to the ambulance, and Carol is uh, using a wet nap to like wipe herself down. She's clearly hot and sweaty inside that ambulance, and uh, Shep has thoughts on this. He's. Uh, admonishing her for it he's like wet naps are for wimps and i just had to ask fellas is it gay to wipe off sweat (laughs) (laughs) how far do we have to take the toxic masculinity thing to the point where you can't even wipe off sweat uh well we open this episode up with uh jen interrupting mark's shower which just what the hell is going on with them (laughs) Like uh, I like obviously we know that they break up at some point and I'm just like I could have sworn it was sooner than this. Yeah. Maybe this is... maybe we all misremembered it and they're together through the whole series. And Elizabeth, <laughs> no. and Elizabeth Corday was just a dream. Yeah, no. Just a fever dream. I was really hoping they were going to do the full pullback and he was still going to be in the boxers from the, the previous episode. <laughs> like like he's like Tobias Funke, like he's a never nude. <laughs> this is the episode where there we find out Mark Green is a never nude. Dozens. Like, can't you just see him, like, chewing on the washcloth and crying, like, from yeah. the development? Mark blew himself. It's fine. 
So we go over to the tips liver procedure on Ed, and Hicks is narrating it while Benton does the procedure, and Carter watches like a good little student boy. And once Benton gets it right, <laughs> Hicks goes, and the liver is reborn, hallelujah. And it, at the very end of this, we see him start to go in, um, into heart distress. And yeah, so they start crashing. bringing out the paddles. Yeah, he starts yeah. crashing. So we don't see what happens with that, but he starts crashing the minute they get the liver fixed. Now looking good for Mr. Ed. Um, (laughs) (laughs) i can't make a nay nor a winnie i was not prepared for a mr ed reference in this episode but here we are cuts i watched a lot of nick and i as a child what can i say i watched a lot of i love lucy i didn't see a lot of mr ed it was on there a couple bit or maybe it was some other random like tv show the tv channel that my dad watched growing up i don't know he watched a lot of old timey shit my dad's old now, i love him though love you dad now i need to finish i need to keep watching my mash read watch through or there. watch through for the first time Ooh, daddy green mad please don't call him daddy <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> nope um Although, Papa Green. Uh, How about that? Let's go with Papa Green. Although apparently there are a lot of ER fans who find Mark absolutely dreamy. What? I've there's, seen it on the Facebook groups. I some, see you fans. I, am, I will be your everybody. voice. You yeah. know, during this time of quarantine and st- shelter-in-place orders, we're all a little thirsty, but I'll never be that <laughs> thirsty. You know, I understand if if you were growing up during this peak primetime age and you were of age when this was on i guess it was the boxers in the rocking chair that's what did it for him with the hair with the hairy chest i was i was trying to make our fans feel seen and look what you've done (laughs) i'm not gonna i'm not gonna yuck your yum listeners um we open this episode uh the bachelor pad of doug and with doug and mark uh, and doug got laid last night i'm shocked right so you know good for him they're chilling on the couch when Doug has bagels for Mark and Mark is just Mark is just impressed that he can do it all. He can fuck a different woman every night and <laughs> still have bagels on it. Work twelve hours and be a pediatric resident. Yeah, and I couldn't help but notice too that Mark just pulls a bagel out of the bag and takes a dry bite out of it like a goddamn serial killer. Like doesn't slice okay. it, no butter, no cream cheese, just takes okay. a, goes in like I bet he doesn't peel his string cheese either. I bet he just Are we like, gonna are we gonna have this discussion? Cause I eat bagels dry. Oh, that's that's uh, that's not okay. How have it how have I be, never noticed this? Because I usually only do it because the only time I ever get bagels is when I go to the grocery store before work for to get some breakfast, and they don't have cream cheese. So I've just developed. I just have a habit of just eating them without cream cheese. Okay, Oof. you can eat them without cream cheese, but do you prefer them without cream cheese? Depends on the bagel. Go go on. If it's a really, if it's a really, really fucking good bagel, I don't think it needs anything else. Ugh. Like the ones we get from our grocery, the ones I get from the grocery store near me, like are are really, really good by themselves. And I don't think I just, yeah, trust me. Everyone at work when I'm walking around with you know, a bagel hanging out my orders mouth. and just with Ugh. a with a bagel hanging out hanging out my mouth, just while I'm messing with my scan gun with nothing on it, people are like, "Are you what? What is wrong with you?" Yes, this that's well, that's a bagel. That's the appropriate reaction because that's again serial killer behavior. At least you're not slicing them lengthwise. Oh God, uh, yeah. See that that's the part that bugs me. But no. but yeah, no, you get a nice fruity, you get a nice cinnamon oh, bagel. It's you get so much nice... chewing. Oh God, you got to cut that sucker yeah. in half. 
I'm not the biggest fan of cream cheese. Loop it up a like, little bit. The only like really good consistently cream cheese is from Panera. Yeah. Their honey walnut stuff. That shit's great because it's like probably has, like 80 grams of sugar in it. But yeah, you you don't do a lot of dairy products except for cheese. Cream and I cheese. do. And for and for the record, Daniel, I do not. I do uh, eat my string cheese like a sane human being. You peel your string cheese. I do. Yes. Okay. Well, we'll thank God for that because slide. on your for your stance on bagels, I award you one gigantic yike because <laughs> damn that's fucked up i wear it i wear it proudly thank you thank you we're done here folks good night <laughs> you're my favorite yike <laughs> things that make you want to go <laughs> so then we go over and check with carol who is doing an intake on a, a kind of elderly migraine patient um she's complaining uh, about the different migraine medications that carol's suggesting which carol is very much like in a take charge role here like i feel like she's almost like doing some diagnose diagnostic work here which is sort of mm-hmm. a gray area beyond what a nurse would do it would be more of like a physician's assistant type of role she's filling here but we don't really have anybody in the cast who's filling that role just yet so i guess this is th- this is as good of a spot as any for it um so she's kind of suggesting different medications to treat her migraines and the lady is begging off each one of them for different reasons oh i'm allergic to that oh that gives me you know a rash that gives me chest pains whatever um and says oh there's this one that starts with a d that they gave me it's the only one that worked and she's very like very like leading about it and carol's kind of like demerol so she she's kind of smoked her out here that she's a a junkie or a, a drug seeker and as she's walking away she's got harper with her so she's kind of explaining to harper in a very much like a senior explaining how things work to a freshman she's like yeah we get these people from time to time and they're blah 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 blah, whatever and this sort of sets up our theme for later in the episode with carol's storyline here that you know she kind of has this attitude towards this type of patient that you know she's seen it all and that she can't be fooled and that's not ultimately going to be true but we'll see how that plays out as we go forward and i would just like to say that Growing up and seeing stuff like this on TV, because this is far from the only time that they use this sort of... This is basically a trope at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, Seeing stuff like this all the time honestly has had, like, a sort of profound effect on me. Like, because, like, every time I go to, like, the ER for something pain-related, I'm always super anxious about asking for more pain medication Mm -hmm. and lauren i'm sure has a good story about you knew right where i was going with this when i when i um so two years ago two years ago two years ago i herniated my l4 l5 and had been in pain for a while my back my low back and it had just been getting progressively worse i was starting to get drop foot numbness just not great and then one day i was getting out of the tub and it just worst pain I've ever felt in my life. We gave it an entire weekend to see if it was just a muscle spasm. It did not get better. Lizzie was nice enough to drive me to the hospital that's two blocks away from... No, it was two blocks when we lived there, right? Or did we live here when it happened? We lived here when it happened. Yeah. So, about five blocks away from where we live right now. Took me in, in a wheelchair because it hurt so bad to walk. I could barely get in and out of our car. I was in there by myself... They didn't take any imaging. They didn't even touch my back. They just gave me ibuprofen. And I went to a chiropractor for two weeks when she finally, bless her soul, she is the reason that I'm walking today 
was like, hey, nothing I'm doing is working. We need to get you imaging. Something is seriously wrong. Go to a wonderful hospital. Thank you, Northwestern. They do imaging immediately. And we found out that, yeah, it was a severe herniation. And they were afraid for me to be moving at all because they thought I might do damage to my spinal cord to the... Mm. Um, to the tune of not being able to walk or use lower extremities anymore. Yeah. So when we say we're a little sensitive, <laughs> that that Lauren and I are a little sensitive about these storylines, that's sort of the basis that we're working from. Like, the fact that, like, obviously this is a fictional show, but this is a very, very real thing that happens, and especially us living in a big city like Chicago. Right. And we go to we go to urban trauma centers for our, for our emergency medicine, and... And women are more likely to um, dull down their pain experiences when describing them to other people, too. It's been clinically proven. Yeah. So this whole thing is just, it strikes a personal chord and it just makes me really uncomfortable. And like anytime I go to the ER for anything, I'm just like, no, I swear I don't need narcotics. I'm not here to just to scam drugs off you. I swear, I swear, I swear. Whereas, like, I don't actually say that, but, like, that's the attitude I'm, like... <laughs> Whereas I didn't even want narcotics. I just wanted answers for them to just go, oh, you yeah. probably just pulled something and kicked me out. Yeah. Yeah. Like... The the attitude towards it in the show is... I'm sure it's it's somewhat rooted in reality of, of a lot of medical professionals' attitude towards drug seeking because they do see it so frequently. Um, right. But it is just such a, like, disappointing attitude to see play out. Like, it's it's a disease like and it's a disease a lot of times uh, that is a creation of the system like i mean we're not full-blown into opioid crisis mode just yet here in 95 but i mean we're definitely heading down that road you know you've got doctors that Mm -hmm. are you know handing out vicodin and percocet prescriptions like candy so you know there's a a systematic issue here that's happening in real time and you're seeing you know these attitudes towards ugh these drug seekers like they're, they're treated as a nuisance rather than victims and right. you know that's a disappointing thing to to see but we'll, we'll see kind of different angles on it in this whole episode i was going to say that's another very good point is that yeah and this was when i went for my back issue this was in the peak of the opioid crisis coming to full attention across the country mm-hmm. so it's no wonder they didn't want to take me seriously because right. i'm i'm like peak you're the like, right you're like the 25. right age you're the right yeah you're in you're in a city like you're you you check a lot of the boxes 25 urban white collar non super active didn't do anything that would have pulled it like yeah of course they were like no she just wants drugs yeah it's it's frustrating i, I mean it like sucked. i said i feel like a lot of it is rooted in reality because that's the way that's much like the sort of numbness to trauma and to to tragedy you know that's a very real coping mechanism for a lot of medical people but it's also it's also like just because it happens a lot and just because it's prevalent doesn't make it healthy or right you know and so I think that's kind of the point I'm getting at here is just like it's I get why they're showing it because it's very real but it doesn't make it any less disappointing it's a few bad apples yeah and then um Carol and Halle found the missing morphine in Jason's wife. She is on the floor of the women's restroom with her belt wrapped around her arm as a tourniquet, so she shot up the morphine, and she's just mumbling to herself, and she's like, oh, he said it would be easy, but the axe wasn't sharp enough. And 
they go and they look and it turns out both the wife and the husband are in the turkey file drug seeker drawer for like a half a dozen visits each hmm. and the reason that they pulled this crazy harebrained scheme was because as she mentions earlier in the episode their medical coverage was about to end in three days yikes which i don't understand am i missing something here ask and i'll try to explain like why okay so dude's medical insurance is running out cool happens america's a hellscape whatever what is point of cutting his arm off then they needed a big enough trauma that he'd be able to score and get some drugs yeah i mean it, it, it's so a little bit flimsy though because killers. i mean oh no, i didn't say it made yeah, sense no er is going to turn away a guy whose arm is in the backseat like so like insurance or not so i mean but i think to make it an affordable nightmare i just i just don't but understand if they're junkies like, and they're and they're drug seeking like they're not giving a shit about the bill they ain't going to pay like so it's yeah but but in their moment of panic they're thinking shit we're going to use our, our safety we're going to lose our safety net we better just do this right now so we can have some drugs saved up like i don't think it's necessarily a sensible decision of oh this will be the cheap and affordable way for me to get my drugs i think it's more oh my god we're going to lose our stuff this is going to be our easy access gone you know, like, I think it's more that panic rationale than an actual sensible one. It's just the leap. I didn't say it made sense. The leap no, to yeah. actually cut someone. Oh, I With a dull axe. I have never. It's right there. I know. Lauren is poking me where, where the cut is. <laughs> no. We don't ever see where the cut is on his arm, I don't think. But, but like, just she's poking me in my shoulder area. And I'm just like, no. Oh, no, thank you. You like having your left arm? No, I've, I'm fine just breaking it, thank you very much. I don't need to cut off. Right. <laughs> smooth move there, uh, Doug. That was Harper, for in case you didn't recognize the voice on the audio there. I need to start out by saying, she. there's no way she didn't hear Mark in the kitchen. Yeah. And there's no way that Clooney didn't hear the phone. Like, the whole thing is very... Or the the long meandering message that Mark leaves him, like on a '90s voice uh, uh, answering machine that you know plays it out like a speaker. Like there's lots of like sitcommy trope type stuff in here, but but the point is that Doug is bang uh, is banging uh, Harper. Not necessarily Sin- is banging, has banged, has banged <laughs> a singular bang. So tense, far, it's- tense is important here. It's only been the one. Fair enough. Has banged. Fair enough. Oh, boy. Either way, that's a beautiful sandwich. Douglas. Good Douglas, God. Douglas. What? They're... Clooney's hot. She's hot. Harper's hot. It's all... What? Yep. And then there's... Uh, speaking of bangs, we come in with some bangs. <laughs> We're back on the bang train. We're back on the bangs. <laughs> oh, God. You two can handle this episode without me. I'm done. <laughs> The moral of the story here, kids, is don't dip your pen in company ink. That's a nicer way to say it, yeah. <laughs> Ugh, so awkward. Uh, God damn it, Doug. I'm glad that they don't set Harper up as this fawning, naive idiot, though. Oh, yeah, no, thank God, no. That they just have oh. her like, yeah, it happened. Oops. I was, I was there, there, too. Yeah, Yeah, like, this was consenting. <laughs> like, like, not the smartest choice that we've made, but I was there, like... They clearly established that it was not an abuse of the power dynamic. Just go, Harper, for being an adult. 
Though later later in the episode, we find out she's only 21. And then I blanched a little bit because I'm like, God, how old is Doug? <laughs> Doug's not that much older. He's got to be at least in his 30s. Yeah, I would say it's at least a solid 10 years older, if not if not a bigger gap. See, with the, with the level of disgust in your voice there, I thought it was like, Doug's, oh, like is he like in his 40s or something? Because no. like, that would be ridiculous. No, it's not that. But it's the fact that he's 10 years older than her and a work superior. It's the two of them combined that makes it icky. That's fair. Yeah. If she was already just his peer, and like if she was already a resident or like done with school, fine, whatever. But it's the fact that like, and that's the whole crux of this issue is right. that she is a student and he is right, you know, in a position above above her <laughs> power, power wise. Power wise, shut up! I hate you all. We never saw. We don't know. Don't do we, don't do, go there. Okay. <laughs> don't I don't go there. <laughs> I was like, do we want to have a discussion? Do we think Doug's a bottom? Oh, God. <laughs> no. <laughs> Let's save that. No, Let's don't. save that for the season wrap-up. All right, there we go. We've already talked enough about Alton Brown today. I don't need to extend this. <laughs> what? Um, Wait a minute. <laughs> we, Cut, uh, Cutthroat Kitchen. Cutthroat Kitchen. Oh, okay. All like, right. we literally watched an episode yesterday where he, where he expertly... Okay, we watched an episode yesterday where he put BDSM gear on a guy. Like a spreader oh, bar. Yeah, okay. spreader bar. And... In this episode that we watched today while we were eating he lunch. He tied someone up. Yeah, he tied someone up. Very, Comfortably. Yeah, like he knew okay. what he was doing. He was like, come here, I'll hold the rope. You just stand still. And he just he just did it. And it was just like, oh. That is okay. not the first time that man has done that and, to someone. And if you're on the Twitter, there are a lot of Daddy Alton jokes. So it's it's just a whole thing. And it's All totally right. believable. Alton yeah, Brown, so I'm good. We've, we've had enough of these discussions today. Um, so back to ER. Back to ER. <laughs> then we move into uh, Harper apologizing to Carter about sleeping with Doug. And uh, turns out their relationship hasn't gone as uh, quite as far as uh, we thought it might have. It's relatively PG. So it turns out they only kissed the one time. Uh, that The time that they kissed a couple episodes, was that last episode or two episodes two ago? Two episodes ago, I think. Yeah. Uh, over that patient that Carter was suturing, that was their first and only kiss, which I find incredibly sweet and very, very weird. But... <laughs> An autobiography. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, he just sort of... Carter's just not really having it. and Sweet baby Carter. It's, yeah... I just I just hate to see my boy in pain. That's that's about how I feel about this, this whole scene. He is being a little bit overly sensitive, I think. Like, he's... A tiny a bit, tiny, but he does he have has, some He reason. has a beef. No, like, don't get me wrong. He has a beef. But it's just like, you know, because they have they've kissed the one time like they've been out like we've they've been out on one like kind of date that we know about. Like they went to the mosh pit thing that she mentions one or two episodes previously. Like he had, he was inviting her out on a date earlier in the episode and she kind of, you know, she didn't lie to him. Like she was just like, hey, before we do that, we should talk like so like she I feel like has been mostly up front with him and it's just he can't handle it. And, you know, they weren't officially dating they weren't like you know exclusive or whatever you know and it's just i don't know and like and he is such a little like bitch about it like he just walks away and like dumps his lunch he's like i don't even want to eat anymore i think i think i'll just die now like bro you're gonna be working a 12-hour medical shift i think you might want to eat your fucking cheese sandwich there like john like don't you know maybe don't throw your entire you know 
sustenance for the next 12 hours away because your girlfriend fucked George Clooney, okay? It's George fucking Clooney, okay? <laughs> like, it's okay. Like, it's not the end of the world. It's not like she's like, it, this isn't the, you know, Middle Ages or whatever. She's not tainted. Like, just get over yourself. Like, I think he's just being a little bit overly sensitive. It's not like it was, like, Green or Jerry. Right. It's it's Doug, man. Like, okay. Like, I get it. Like, a <laughs> few scenes from now, okay, we're going to see probably the most homoerotic scene in the entire history of ER between these two. And, like, <laughs> it's yeah. okay. Like, it's kind of all right. Go for it, man. <laughs> like... It's what is, it is what this, it is. The, the, the community gift, this better not awaken something in me. <laughs> yeah, like, it's fine. It's fine. They basically do the volleyball scene from Top Gun. Like, they basically... That's what I was just thinking of. <laughs> like, it's basically I've never seen Top is. Gun. Uh, I haven't seen the movie. I haven't seen the movie. But Top we all Gun, know that scene. But I, have, I Yeah, don't. everyone knows that scene. I'll show it to you I'm on nobody. I'll show it to you on YouTube. <sighs> all right. Do it up. Yeah, we're I, almost there. I mean, discuss your awakening. <laughs> I mean, what do you, what can you say about this? This is welcome to the most homoerotic two minutes in the history of NBC. So Carter is outside playing some angry basketball, taking angry white boy hook shots because he can't dunk. <laughs> and Doug comes out to talk to him, and they get into like this kind of heated discussion back and forth, and like it's more of it's more of just Doug talking to Carter and Carter just kind of brooding while he dribbles, like. And eventually Carter just kind of like silently challenges him to a game of basketball and like shoves the ball into his chest and is like, you know, come on, let's do it. Like, let's let's be manly. And then they proceed to just like bash into each other, all sweaty and like aggressive and grunty and just like it is the most it's the gayest thing this show has ever put out. Like it is it's so very, very gay, you know, and it's whatever. It's it's just good god you know and, and it basically it gets to like it gets to like the very like big crescendo where I, f- I feel like i forget what happens but like the game breaks off and carter's just like i'm really happy that you've both made your peace with this but i'm gonna need a little more time if that's okay with everybody again just kind of being very <sighs> all up in his feelings and all up in his own emotions about it you know it's just i still maintain like i think carter is ultimately he has a reason to be upset, but I don't think he has a reason to be this upset. You know, he's treating it like, you know, Clooney slept with his wife. And it's like, yeah. dude, you you guys kissed one time and went to one concert. Maybe, maybe chill the fuck out. So then we go onto the roof where they successfully remove Ben from the chopper and get him onto a gurney with a mobile defibrillator. And they just try and get his heart stable, at least, up there. I don't know why they don't just do this in the elevator. They wait and keep doing it in the pouring rain until he stabilizes. Because they want to do it right this second. Well, I know, but they could have been doing it while they were... they're doing it in the fucking rain. They're defibrillating him in the rain. That's a terrible idea. Well, he's already soaked anyway. But the newscaster is over the shoulder taping the whole thing. Like, what are you doing? How's his heart? Are you stabilizing him? Is he going to be okay? Tell me more, folks. Like, just all up in their shit. But they manage to stabilize his heart rhythm before they get him in the elevator and get him downstairs. Yeah, not a good look for the, like, the, he's such a stereotype, like, the the reporter guy. Like, the predatory media trope, like, of just, like, I don't care about anybody. Like, all I care about is the story. Like, all I care about is, like... Give me pictures of (laughs) Spider-Man. Yes, that, exactly. Okay, 
so then Molly, uh, we find out Molly has crashed on her either on her way or in the CT, and now she's unconscious. They suspect that she may have a blood clot near her stomach, so she's kind of in full full-blown crash mode so we will be cutting coming back to this several times over the next few minutes um, and then we pop back over to ben uh, he's getting warming blankets and they're still trying to get a consistent heartbeat going just a very faint pulse uh his uh oxygen level of his blood is only 80 percent not so great you no. should be up in the high 90s there normally mm-hmm. um so not great <laughs> can i can i have my pedantic take here yeah again we run into this this uh, Filmgate 2020, <laughs> whose films are on the board. There was no patient in there previously. It was an empty gurney. It's like the same ghost films that show up in between every trauma. They have not taken scans of anybody. Why are there films on the board? Tell me. I must know. We need to have elements of medical in the room. Because the room itself isn't a good enough element of medical. <laughs> and the fact that you're on a show called ER and and you're in a trauma room. Set dressing. Uh, okay sure. sorry that's that's my one go that's my two for the episode go ahead but you gotta do it for the aesthetic <laughs> okay i wish i could have like slow-mo captured the face that was made with that because it was glorious <laughs> that's their favorite little bit of uh interstitial music that's the same music that plays when benton comes through the doors in the pilot and does the punch that's the exact same bit of music I was about to say, does that does that um, music melt anybody else's heart the oh, way it melts mine? Yeah, it's very I good. Just, Lizzie, can we walk down the aisle to that music? No. <laughs> but it's so sweet. Can we walk down the aisle at all? We can just, uh, you know, some people do weird stuff when they're walking down the aisle. We could just repeatedly bent and punch down the aisle. There you go. Okay, also, also how's that going to work? We're both ladies. Who gets to walk down the aisle? We just do it at the same time, just side by side, just going, bah, bah, bah. It's it's an option. But, uh, listeners, tell us what you think. <laughs> There's a new stretch goal. <laughs> <laughs> listeners, plan our weddings. $1,000 goal. Patreon.com slash the tone podcast. I'm sorry, not $1,000 goal. $1,000 patron level. There you go. Although $1,000 t- for $1,000 a month, they can they can absolutely plan your wedding. <laughs> like I'm. Oh, they can plan our wedding, Daniel? Yeah, I'm declaring that right now. If they give us $1,000 a month, one person, yeah, yeah, they can plan your you're, wedding. You're already married. I see how this is. I see how it is. Several things. One, and this is me being pedantic, it's that time we need a jingle for when this happens. <laughs> is it gala or gala? Um, I don't know. Is, or is this like a caramel caramel thing? Yeah, I feel like it's one of those. I mean, my, I feel like I would say gala. I always heard it with like the soft A, yeah. I don't know. Bitch, I'm poor. I don't. Do you think I go to these <laughs> things? <laughs> Bless. Um, don't go to a lot of galas or galas. So there's that. Also, the fact that <laughs> Morgan Stewart says, don't jest. Like, who says that? William H. Macy, motherfucker. That's fair. Um, I want... 80 of those bagels in and around my face and mark mark has also learned the magic of cream cheese since last episode this is or, true or several episodes ago <laughs> i can't even remember when he was eating fucking bagels dry but that was episode five sure that's how that's how many episodes it's taken me to process the fact that he was eating an unsliced bagel dry in a in a living room like a normal human being like he thinks it, that's a thing people do i think it had to be five because i think it was the one that aired today because we've had people like write us about the bagel thing <laughs> good i hope in support of my position that you cannot eat a bagel just dry like that that that's fucking weird 
We're revisiting the bagel thing, really? Well, I'm fucking weird then. Okay. Because, like, I, <laughs> I did it several times when Lauren made bagels lately. Yeah, I did. Um, but for now, uh, Mark is just asking around, seeing if anyone's seen Carter. He's looking, uh, needs a scalp laceration sewed up. Um, and we go over to, oh, <sighs> oh dear. <laughs> Carter and Harper are making out in the chapel. It's nothing sacred. Mm. Not when you're horny. Clutch your rosaries, um, kids. <laughs> but of course, in true Carter fashion, everything has to go wrong. And some nuns come in and they just have to run it and they have to try to do their best to hide. My favorite is when Carter leans up and goes, you're not Catholic, are you? <laughs> so our first trauma we find out that a Zamboni driver drove right into a manger um, at, was it like a school or something? I wasn't quite quite clear what the event was, but there's like a lot of kids and stuff involved. Jesus, um, on ice. Jesus, <laughs> on ice. He's driving a Zamboni. Zamboni's clean ice. I am aware of that. And we get one of my favorite through lines of the episode coming up with Carol. Um, she goes in to help treat a gentleman named Stan Callus, and he crafts toys and delivers them to children with his wife. Um, he's got a white beard and is wearing red suspenders with a white sweater, and this is very much supposed to be a, hmm, is that Santa Claus thing for the whole hmm. episode? Like, he is the avatar of Christmas spirit through this episode. I mean, he's name. not Tim Allen. <laughs> well, touchy. If he's... If he's Tim Allen, how could he not? How could he be Santa? How could he be Santa Claus? Anyway, <laughs> it's it's a cute through line, and I'm really it's the, the way it wraps up is really fun. And his name is literally an anagram for Santa Claus. No, not quite. It literally is. Oh, you're right. Yes, you're right. Okay, yeah. I was looking at the first name last name separately, but yes, if you put it all together. Yeah, if you put it all together, you can rearrange the letters. Yeah. You are right. I am wrong. Good job. It's it's fun. Ho, 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 motherfuckers. It's almost like treating your patients and their family like human beings works more than just spouting facts at them. Hmm. You treat the disease, you win, you lose. You treat the patient, you win every time. What the fuck is that from? <laughs> oh. <laughs> a movie I have not seen. I know a lot of people don't like it, but it's one of my nostalgic favorites. I used to watch it all the time. It's tragic, but it's so good. I'll probably never see it, but awesome. <laughs> All right. I'll have it on the background at least once and you'll you'll see parts of it. And then we flash over to Al is showing Susan some earrings that he bought for Lydia for Christmas. And they are beautiful, sparkly, fake rubies, just totally over the top, something Lydia would completely love. And he's so self-conscious if she'll like them. It's very sweet. And Susan's like, no, they're perfect. They're, you know, they're just her. They're great. You're good. And then Lydia walks up and is like, what are you still doing here? And Al's like, I'm just leaving. Bye. Just like <laughs> closes the box and runs away. And it's very sweet. And I wish we got more Al. And hey, real gemstones are overrated. For and sure. Over and overpriced. Synthetics all the way. I got her this tone deaf web series. Do you think she'll like it? Al. Because she's a boomer. <laughs> And holy shit, that is a lot of snow out in the ambulance bay. 
nobody's commented on the weather in this one, which surprises me, aside from when it was snowing in Carol's house to begin with, but I'm wondering when we're going to start getting the weather commentary episodes again, because we haven't had them be like, oh, it's raining, oh, it's snowing, like, we haven't seen them do that much lately. I think our weather episode was, uh... Hell or high water, well, or hell I, and high water. Yeah, well, I don't mean, like, weather episode as in, like, it's surrounded by the weather, but I just mean, like, those where it's, you know, if, where it's snowy outside and you get somebody coming in and be like, oh, gosh, it's coming down. Mm. Now like, I'm, not necessarily it's the theme of the episode, but. I'm just really mad now that we didn't get Clooney, like, <laughs> finding an excuse to talk about how it was raining in whale and high water. <laughs> like, I just really want him to be, like, to stopping in the middle of it and be like, why don't it stop, like, when did it start raining? Like, in the middle of the drain middle pipe. of the drain pipe <laughs> that would have just been perfect oh damn it well what could have been missed um, opportunities here in 1995 we find out carol still can't get anyone to sing with her on the fourth floor nobody's nobody's biting which is fine i wouldn't do it no hell no i hate singing in public i hate singing in private i don't sing i'm tone deaf uh, I can do expert on rock band. You sure can. <laughs> Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. You sure can. You serenaded me with Kelly Clarkson within a month of us dating, and I knew it was love. Shit, yeah, I did. And then we go back to the priest, and there are still the same damn films on that trauma room where the <laughs> priest is. They just said they never got his x-rays back, and those films that I complain about every other episode are still on the back wall. Pretty sure it's every episode at this point yeah. that they have them. They're the, they're the they standard just, issue. I need to st- I need to start checking and seeing if it's literally the same film every episode. I think it is. But either way, still, not his films. They're just chilling in the back. So then speaking of tonal shifts, we go right over to Benton in a dark room uh, reciting something. He is kind of back in the, the early season one setting, like Doctor Asleep in a, a side room. Um sounds like the end of charlie brown christmas like he's just sort of like kind of mumbly reciting this bible verse uh loop and was i right is that what it reminded you of too because that's where my brain went oh as far as charlie brown christmas yeah oh yeah 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 that's definitely definitely the tone they're going for here um okay the do we do we know for sure that it i think we do right we get confirmation from genie later on no, I I did a Google oh, you to did make Google. sure that this was the verse. Oh, I did a Google, okay. but but we are confirmed later that it is in fact a Bible verse, not Charlie Brown Christmas. But I did do a Google. <laughs> Goes to show you, it's not a whole lot of church going on in our in our houses because we we're like, oh, it's Charlie Brown Christmas, right? Good enough. <laughs> no, I, if, it's it's the Jesus. If you had had me bet. Um, before I actually checked it, I would have been about 50-50 on if it was Charlie Brown Christmas or a Bible <laughs> verse. And that is my greatest shame. Like, I'm sorry, family. I have failed you. We're just, we're just not religious people. And I'm, that's okay. Fine. I'm from, this is fine. I'm from a family of lapsed Catholics. Same. Just like Mark. Oops. <laughs> Methodists. I don't even know. It's all over the place. <laughs> Whatever Plenty they are, they groups. ain't doing it anymore. That's the point. Uh... <laughs> Starts off so so insignificant. Should I take my headphones off and like go in the other room while you two talk about this for a minute? <laughs> no, it's no, no, fine. no. Like it's I said, fine. we, we don't fine. we do not need to get into to spoiler territory. Like 
like we said a few minutes ago, like just suffice to say that that Ruby here, played by Red Buttons, a very famous kind of oh hey it's that guy type er- uh, type actor uh, from kind of old Hollywood days, appeared in stuff like Poseidon Adventure, uh, Sayonara, and The Longest Day. Um, passed away in 2006 at age 87, um, which must Aww. not have been too long after his last appearance as Ruby, because he comes back later on, um, much later on, way later on. Yeah, so this isn't just a season two thing. Yeah, this is a season two thing. So like we're gonna we're gonna see him way way down the road. But yeah, it, it's suffice to say that he's just a very significant character in Carter's arc, and it will be. Like Lizzie said, it starts from this very kind of insignificant place and it grows into something, you know, so much more powerful and, and significant for Carter. So it's, it'll be, I'm, it, you know, definitely file this under that, you know, I didn't realize we were here yet category. Like, cause I, I knew this is something that was coming, but I was still surprised that we were getting it, you know, now. So, yep. Ruby is here. We get to rediscover these things with our rewatch, and we get to rediscover them with you, the listener at home, and everyone just has a good time. I feel so bad. I've seen this whole series. We did a watch through like five <laughs> years ago. Why don't I remember this? There's so much shit from this show that I don't remember, and it puts me to shame when I go on the Facebook group and everybody remembers every microscopic detail on Pop TV, and I'm like, who's this? Because there's 15 seasons of the show. Yeah, there's 331 episodes at 45 minutes a pop. Like, that's that's a lot of hours worth of stuff to digest. Listen. Listeners, I apologize. I'm not qualified to be on this show. And yet you are, and we love that you're here. (laughs) I bring Moxie. We are checking with Benton and Carter, and they're talking to Vucilich because they've convinced Ruby that his wife needs to have this surgery. And Vucilich is like, well, I can't perform it because I've had one of these. And he's got like a cocktail in his hand. He's like, but so-and-so is going to lead and Benton, you can assist. So one more, one more chance to beat the record. After that, after we check in on the surgeons, we find out that the ER uh, party has unfortunately been canceled because they're because they wanted they were having it off site as opposed to in the doctor's lounge with like the surgeons were. Their restaurant in the Gold Coast has been snowed in, so they're moving the party to Carol's house instead. How bad does it have to be for the Gold Coast to get snowed in to where you can't have a company party? I mean, this is Chicago. It's okay. Roads get fucked up all the time. I know, but still. And there's a lot of speed bumps around the Gold Coast, too, on side streets and stuff like that. So depending on what street the restaurant was on, it could be harder to plow. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's lots of ways for shit to get fucked up in the Gold Coast. <sighs> it is an older neighborhood. But yeah, so party at Carol's. Woo! Party at Carol's shithole. <laughs> can't, break, can't break anything because it's all already broken. Right? The very first ever clamshell flip-style mobile phone, the Motorola StarTac, goes on sale. The phone, which weighed only 3.1 ounces and retailed for $1,000, or 1654 in 2020 dollars, became the first cell phone to become a widespread hit, selling 60 million units. It was eventually replaced in 2004 by the Razor, which I had. I did, I did too. too. I- I liked my razor. It was, it was not one. my first phone, but it was my second phone. My first one was some little candy bar thing that lit up on the sides from Nokia. <laughs> yep, I <laughs> that, had a Nokia too. But I'm pretty sure I smashed against a rock one time just for fun because I was a stupid teenager and it worked. Yeah, 
No, Nokia ones were forever, but the, those razors, you'd use them too much, and they'd event, the hinge would eventually wear out and mess up your screen. That's what happened to mine. Yep. We, texting under the table in class, flipping it open aggressively all the time, you know, like kids do. Oh, the 90s. Oh, the aughts. Uh, that was the aughts, that's true. <laughs> Pardon the interruption, but this is Lizzie and her dad from the future world of 2021. Here to wish you a happy holidays, whatever you're celebrating. Happy New Year if you're not celebrating anything. Just, we're grateful for you. We're happy you're here. We're happy you're listening. Thank you very much for your support. Dad, do you have anything to say? Well, I'd just like to wish everybody happy holidays and... This is the first time I've ever done a podcast with my daughter. <laughs> so you're in for a wild ride. That's all I can tell you. All right. Now back to old, more naive us. So then we switch over to Mark turning on his light in bed at 417 in the morning. So and close. Who, Almost 420. Sorry. Aha. Uh-huh. And who has their bedside light directly above their face? This is another point in the Mark as a future serial killer category, <laughs> along with the plain bagels. Maybe. Okay, so here's my headcanon. Maybe it's that he's used to sleeping in spare uh, exam rooms and spare trauma rooms and stuff, and he's used to having that big like surgical light thing kind of right over his head. Like, maybe that's what it is. I don't know. It just seems like it would just be in the way. And that thing is, like, maybe six inches from his face. Yeah, it's pretty aggressive. And I also want to note, I think these are the only pair of boxers that he owns (laughs) as we see him walk to the fridge. And it looks like we're seeing his new apartment as he's chugging OJ straight from the carton. And he's channel surfing and watching some random medical show, which is just so meta. Yeah, it looks very, very much more bachelor pad than even Doug's apartment. Sad bastard bachelor pad like it's not even not even like a hip like he's got a lot going on he's got a lot of ladies coming over no it's just bare bare bones very sad depression central population mark well he's only probably just moved in there like a month ago i feel like a month is enough time for you to maybe like get some stuff on your count like his when he opens the fridge there's like four things in there (laughs) like and most of like one of them is oj and the other one's like ketchup like he has like he doesn't have anything. That's the thing. He, he has the bachelor fridge. Yeah, and then we, we switch over to Mark is talking to a young boy named Ty, probably like seven or eight. Yeah, I think he's one of like the older ones. He must, he must be like the nine-year-old yeah. among them. And Mark's like, you know, who are these kids? Can you tell us their names? And he says that some are his brothers and sisters, some are cousins, and he only knows some of their names. And Shep walks in and somebody's like, why are, why are they only half dressed or, you know, why are they missing shoes? And Shep says there were only enough clothes for about half of the kids in the apartment. Yeah. So I think Shep gave his boots or Shep gave his coat or something to one of the kids. Ty walks away and they pan down and you can see he's got the, the hospital gown on and he's got, you know, the big fireman boots on the, on his feet. Like they're just swallowing his little, his little legs. So for probably the last time this episode, we'll say, good job, Shep. Yeah. There it is. Enjoy it now. (laughs) You get to, wait, Daniel, you get to actually hate Shep this episode. I get to hate Shep every episode. It's a free country, okay? I hate Shep every episode. (laughs) It's justified I just have more of a reason to hate him this time. And even more heartwarming, not really, uh... (laughs) 
situations. Carter is uh, checking in on see to see how Mrs. Um, Mrs. Rubidoux is doing, uh, but also pops in to check on her. She still has her partial paraplegia, uh, partial paralysis going on. Benton's pager is just going off incessantly because obviously he went down and didn't, you know, actually wasn't actually down there for what he needed to be down there for with his page. So, and it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I'm not deaf. But <laughs> like, <sighs> that should just be like the the subtitle of this episode. <sighs> Sorry, Sigh. I'm just getting ready for the next part. Sigh the episode. Have I mentioned lately how much I love Malik? <laughs> like, I wish I wish I could say this is the worst thing he says in the whole episode, but it's not. It's just it's it's disheartening how familiar some of the terminology and the phrasing that he uses is still to us in 2020 24 years after this episode aired like that type of that t- like the shep the sheps of the world are still very much out there like they still very much have this attitude and they think they're right and that's the part that sucks the most is that they think that what they're saying is not controversial or upsetting or offensive to anyone and that is the i think root of the, the problem is that they're, they're just living in this fantasy world where their words don't have an effect on anyone else. And it's just, uh, he sucks so much in this episode. Now, if you or someone you know may be at risk of being a chef of the world, <laughs> I might recommend a book called The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness by Michelle Alexander. Because it talks a lot about the systemic racism that that's built into our society, especially within the prison and criminal justice systems. But it deals a lot with this whole... You know, just because someone's the surgeon and someone's the fireman doesn't necessarily mean equality. Racism is over, kids. Benton's a surgeon. It's it's we're good. <laughs> we're good here. If you have it, thanks everybody. Thanks for all your effort. It's awesome. Oh wait, wait. I'm sorry. What? If you have a sh- oh yeah, Black Lives Matter, motherfuckers. If you have Shep's attitude for longer than four hours, please consult your doctor. Basically, what we're saying is, wake the fuck up, guys. Like, yeah, and it's and more than importantly that. than wake the fuck up, shut the fuck up, shut the fuck up, and listen. <laughs> Did he not learn his fucking lesson, like however many episodes ago it was, when he ran his mouth off at the nurses' station and pissed off Carol because he was talking flippantly about suicide and whether or not suicide attempts are valid? So clearly, this fucking lughead has learned nothing. And no, like it, it, it's just same shit, different day. Like I'm, I'm. Eh. He has no redeeming value to me as a character. None. Daniel, he's a white man between 18 and 49. Of course he thinks his opinion Particularly matters. Particularly in the mid-90s. Uh, for now, Loretta is back, uh, continuing her pretty long-running storyline at this point. Like, she's been with us since, I think, didn't she start in the premiere of season two? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is like her third or fourth appearance at this point. And uh, she comes in uh, with her kids this time. Uh, her kid has a sore throat and a fever. Uh, one of her kids is uh, going to destroy the universe, uh, little Anakin Skywalker. Uh, J- uh, excuse me, it's only one galaxy. Thank you very much. Uh, fine, whatever. Uh, it's a long time ago and far, far away. Uh, exactly. 
Anakin Skywalker, played by young Jake Lloyd here, who would, just a few years after this, have his life unceremoniously ruined by the worst fans on the planet. Don't be fans of anything. It's a terrible idea, and it turns you into a terrible person. I recommend listening to the fandom episode of the popular court for this topic. We did. We kind of touched on Jake Lloyd's uh, thing here, because this poor kid who never asked for this, you know, never never wanted, you know, any 30 to 40 some year old Star Wars fans breathing down his neck and talking about how he ruined uh, a franchise, which he didn't. You know, this kid, I don't, when I say his life was ruined, I don't mean that, like, he got teased at school, which he did. Uh, but what I mean is that, like, he has his life has spiraled completely out of control. Like he was uh, pretty much going through a psychotic breakdown a few years ago. Like I remember his mom was coming out and kind of pleading for anyone who had any sort of information about his whereabouts uh, because she thought he was not well and could be a danger to himself. So, and, and a lot of the, I mean, I'm sure a lot of this was, you know, stuff that he kind of already had going on beneath the surface, but it certainly was exacerbated by his treatment after appearing in star Wars. So, not a great start for little Jake Lloyd here. But he got to meet Turbo Man. He did. Thank he you. was also in Jingle All the Way, yes, with <laughs> uh, with Sinbad and, and Arnie. Um, that was probably the happiest moment of his life, I'm sure. And we uh, round out the episode here. We have uh, Carter waking up in his bed to the sound of his pager going off. He has, a, And we noted he's very fancy by the 90s standards he has a bose sound system thank you very much he sure not, does those things of, are fucking expensive not one of those fucking ge alarm clocks or whatever with the red with the all the the red leds in them or whatever they were <coughs> exactly but rudy yeah I'll say but rudy uh beeped him just like and carter and you can you can tell that rudy's very apologetic for rudy for, ruby <laughs> sorry that uh excuse me Ruby seems concerns that it seems I give up. <laughs> I got it. So Ruby has beeped him and is voicing some concerns. And Carter's like, no, no, it's all right. I told you you could call. And Carter just sits up in bed and is on the phone with him as they pan out. And that's how the episode wraps. Yeah. I still remember nothing from the Ruby storyline. Well, you're in for some will. treats coming up soon. Then. Maybe maybe I've blocked this out. If it's as bad as you guys say it is, maybe I've just tuned it out. Maybe, it's, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's tough. It's a tough one. I'll say that much. It's... And it's very, like we, Lizzie and I kind of mentioned on last episode, like it's, it's very pivotal for Carter's development. So that will definitely be... He's definitely going to be very influential in that. But yeah, this is a real fucking bummer, gang. Yeah, this is uh, one we call. I, I like to call this one a uh, lovely dumpster fire of an episode that I, you know, didn't really want to. We really didn't want to talk about this one just after we watched it because we're like, "Fuck!" Isn't the show supposed to be escapism? Good yeah. God! Yeah. Isn't this podcast supposed to be fun? This it isn't going to be a fun episode to so, talk about. And spoiler alert: it wasn't. So we're really sorry, gang. We know that you're probably listening at to us to escape how ridiculous the real world is right now but we're all in this together and you know this is stuff that we do have to talk about both from a media standpoint and from a real life standpoint so we appreciate you sticking with us today from dusk till dawn takes the number one spot at the box office and one sweet day by mariah carey and boys to men is still the number one song the rain will never end 
Yeah, that day gets a little less sweet every week. Thank you for making the joke so I didn't have to. <laughs> All right, this week we dip just ever so slightly down from our 37 million viewers from last week down to 34.6 million. Cancel the show, why don't you? Uh, directed this week by <laughs> Leslie Gladder, who uh, also directed And Baby Makes Two from earlier this season. And this one is written by Lance Gentile, who uh, wrote Another Perfect Day and Blizzard, as well as Love's Labor Lost in season one. It's a pretty good track record. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, it's it's sort of surprising to me that, you know, spoilers, this one is such a like filler kind of nothing episode that, you know, you have this guy who wrote some really heavy hitters from season one, and this one's just kind of a very ho-hum episode. Yeah, agreed. And I mean, there's a couple points in here where we're very much going to say, okay, yeah, this must have, he must have had his hand on this. But overall, it does not read like some of his other episodes. Yeah. We get, we get Rachel's sweet, sweet um, child takes today. There's a few of them. If mommy said she was sorry, would you stop being mad at her? When are you moving back to Milwaukee? And when you move back home, will you build me the fish tank and help me take care of the fish every day? So clearly they have not told Rachel shit. I like how he immediately tries to distract her with pancakes. So he's like, let's go get pancakes. Let's you stop talking pan- about this. Because she says she doesn't like eggs. So he's like, you do like eggs. Anything to get you to stop asking me these painful, heartbreaking questions. Do we want to handle the actual thing first before I have the earworm that bothers me? <laughs> no, please. Get, hit us with your uh, little pedantic. <laughs> this, it, it still bothered me even listening to the clip there. The way Benton says it, North Lake Shore, he puts the emphasis on shore. I've always heard it is North Lake Shore. You always put the emphasis on lake. And it just, every time he says it, it just sounds so odd to me. Lizzie, as a native Chicagoan, would you agree that I'm... No, I'd agree. For sure. It's pedantic as shit, and I apologize, guys, but it was—it just sounds so foreign. No, living in the city. North Lake Shore. No, North that, Lake that sounds Shore. Wrong. North Lake Shore. Yeah. You that's... put it on lake, not shore. Yeah. Put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. syllable. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't even know that I, I don't understand the human body. <laughs> that's why we're podcasters, not doctors. Hooray! Staying in our lane. <laughs> So then we we check in on Susan, Rachel, and Mark all skating, and Rachel is continuing to be a brat to Susan, saying she doesn't want help tying her skates, and that she wants to tie her skates the way her mommy ties her skates, and just having none of it. And as they're skating, I noticed my office in the background, and I have not (laughs) been to my office since March. It is mid-June, as we are recording this. I have not been to my office in three months. I miss my office. Can we also talk about Susan's, like, Russian guard hat that she wears with the flaps yes and like, that is a that is quite a hat it's an it's an ushanka right i think i fucking know <laughs> yeah, right yeah i don't it's, it's a funny hat is as far as i got i'm looking right now yeah it's an ushanka <laughs> it's a, it's a look carter comes bursting through the doors screaming gown me and someone appropriately throws it right into his face gotta love that um <laughs> He's wearing some suspenders, some pretty, pretty noticeable, right, right up Lauren's alley. Lauren, I'm sure, was very happy to see the suspenders make a comeback. I uh, was. Thank you for noticing. 
and then afterwards we got over we cut over um e-ray's back just Yay. out of nowhere um he's working behind the counter while oh baby jerry has the flu well he's not baby jerry but <laughs> mr <laughs> but our main man jerry has uh is down with the flu so e-ray is taking a shift behind the desk as a clerk um you know everyone's sort of like questioning like do you know how to do this? And he's like, oh, yeah, I have tons of experience doing stuff like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, E-Ray does everything. <laughs> and, you know, they're trying to get Rachel set up in the set up in the lounge and trying to find someone to look after her for a little bit. And E-Ray jumps in and is like, oh, yeah, I'm a licensed Illinois daycare worker. I can do it. Yeah. Is there anything this man can't do? Because like he's like the Swiss Army man of the ER. He can't be a nurse. I mean, he can. It's just he can't be like a very good one necessarily. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I just love how he perks up. Like, yeah, I'm an Illinois, I'm a licensed Illinois daycare worker. I've got this. And just the way he says it, he's so proud and matter of fact. E-Ray is this, uh, is this episode's MacGuffin. Yes. He's there conveniently to solve every, all of your problem. But she, but he can't get Rachel's parents back together. Oh, no. Um, eh, they don't deserve each other. Only the magic of Christmas can do that. Oh, no, it's January. Shit. So then from there, we go back to the admit desk. Uh, E-Ray is looking after Rachel. He's got her looking at a medical textbook uh, of skin lesions, uh, which Green kind of scopes out and is like, uh, maybe this is not such a good idea to have a you know five or six-year-old, whatever Rachel is at this point, uh, looking at pictures of skin lesions. But I couldn't help but wonder if this is a little bit of seed planting for the future Dr. Green, Dr. Rachel Green. So hmm. who knows? Come back to that in, uh, oh, 14 seasons. God. 13 seasons. <laughs> like two episodes before the end, I think. I don't know. Yeah. I thought it was like the very last episode, wasn't it? I think so. It's, I, I know that's what, I know that's the first time she gets called Dr. Green is the finale, but that's like the last line, I think, but. Um, Spoilers for the last line of the entire series. Oh, darn. Forget about that sometime over the next five years. Um, now we, uh, Morgan Stern's in the suture room looking, looking mighty fine. How do they describe his outfit? They think he's cross-dressing. Yeah. They think he's dressed as a Catholic schoolgirl. Yeah. But we will, we will come back to that in just a minute. And it's almost better where, what he actually ends up doing. Yeah. So we'll I, was, get- I was real worried there for a minute. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I have, a, I have, uh, not a, like retort to that but like do they really honestly think that he's cross-dressing or is it just that the way carol describes it is that she's fucking with Clooney? because she describes it as he's wearing a catholic schoolgirl outfit almost as if like she's trying to get Clooney's attention but like i don't know that they genuinely think that he's cross-dressing i don't i don't know about that necessarily but i mean that's how i took it i i think they i think they genuinely think so because they seem shocked when they find out that it's a kilt and he's Scottish. Yeah. Which we'll get there, but... Yeah, fair enough. So I I think the team, just at first glance, is like, it's a schoolgirl outfit. And then they find out and it's almost funnier. And moving on to a more lighthearted affair, we have our next audio clip. Uh, more, uh, we, we are going to visit with Morgan Stern in the suture room. Yeah, another adolescent fantasy shot to hell. Nice knees. Hey, you guys, we get an 8x10 glossy. None of us will ever work holidays again. <laughs> Doug, two boys playing in the street hit by a car. Paramedics are two minutes out. Man, I miss all the fun stuff. Yeah. Come on, Carol. Why me? I don't get to see you don't get to see. 
That's not fair. Care to join me, Dr. Lewis? Oh, I'd be delighted, Dr. Green. Mark, Susan, thank God. I'm feeling a bit foolish. No, no doubt. What's the problem? Oh, showing off, tossing the caber. I clunked myself, the buffet table, and my great-aunt, Jean Ferguson. <laughs> the caber? Big telephone pole thing. You pick it up, and you... And it's not light, mind you, and you flip it upside down, or you, you try to. The Highland Games, burn supper. My leg's killing me. So, that's a kilt? Well, of course it's a What else would it... <laughs> I see what you're saying. Well, that would be embarrassing. <laughs> Russian Jew on my father's side. Full-blooded Highland Scott on my mother's. Ow, 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 ow. Uh, yeah, it's probably broken. Oh, damn. All right, so I guess based on that line from Morgan Stern, I guess I, I guess I can see your point, Lizzie. Yeah, they they thought he was in a schoolgirl outfit. <laughs> Maybe Clooney should have that fantasy shot down for him, because <laughs> that one's just kind of creepy overall. You know? Did we pick up in this scene, either of you, the fact that Morgan Stern's drunk? A like little did, bit. Did oh, that yeah. come across? Because it didn't come across for me until a little bit later on in the episode when he really starts playing it up. Here it's just sort of oh, like yeah. he just is regular old Morgan Stern but happens to be wearing a kilt. But later on it seems like yeah. he's really playing up the drunk thing. I thought he's like I kind of got like hints of his character from uh, Shameless <laughs> in there. <laughs> yeah. like, because that's sort of like the drawl that his character from Shameless has. There. Which if you haven't checked out that show definitely do. It's on Netflix. It's it's every everyone on that show is a walking disaster, but it's it's basically it's just like you like watching human car crashes. It's a beautiful show. Speaking of shitty situations, we go back to Barbara Dean, and uh, she took her own intubation tube out. Generally, not a good idea. Yeah, which Susan, you know, is telling her. Susan's also asking her. Apparently, uh, Ms. Dean has a DNR in her records, so some of the repeat customer stuff coming back up and her old charts. Um, and Susan's just asking her to reconsider it, you know, cause she's only 50, but, uh, Barbara refuses. So we'll come back to them in a little bit. And then we have Benton after the shame of his surgery goes over to, um, Vucelich's assistant and lets her know that he won't be at the dinner because he has something's come up. And she's like, nope, unless you are, like, fatally ill and you will be dead by 11 o'clock, you will be at that dinner because Marion doesn't like empty chairs at her dinner parties and you were filling in for a last-minute cancellation. So you will be there. Oof. That's gonna be a shot to the ego right there. Yeah, he already felt like ass, and that just probably adds to it. Then we have our, we have a little bit more, a little bit more Morgan Stern for you. This time he's practicing his bagpipes. Any word for my wife? On her way. Oh, is someone poking out a cat's eye in there? I told him it was okay to practice. It looks like you have a non-displaced fracture of the distal fibula. Damn. Yeah, you're gonna need a cast. I'm gonna miss the haggis. Boys will be disappointed. Uh-huh. I'll call ortho. I was supposed to cut it. Great honor. Nephews, we're gonna pipe me in and everything. Even memorize Robbie Burns to a haggis. Uh-huh. His knife, see rustic labor date, and cut you up with ready sight. Yeah, this is green in the yard. Like a distant hill, 
Your pen wad help to mend a mill in time of need, while through your pores the dews distill like amber bead. <laughs> this is the most enjoyable Morgan Stern has ever been. I'm sorry. I, I have enjoyed him more in the last 10 minutes than I have it ever. I like drunk Morgan Stern. Drunk William H. Macy really is best William H. Macy. Here's a generational take. Are you, uh, Do either one of you know how to play jacks? Nope. Okay. Because you I feel like that's a generational you? thing where I, because I like, the whole time, anytime I see anyone like playing jacks, quote unquote, I'm always just like, I don't know how the fuck this is supposed to work. Like, Doesn't don't. it like you bounce the ball and then you're trying to like grab up all the little metal the jacks? Yeah, the little jack, metal jacks. And I, seeing how many you can grab before the ball bounces again. That was my understanding. Maybe. I have no idea. I'm, like, sh- I'm sure there's more in-depth rules than that, but that was always my base understanding of how the game worked. I've never played it. Yeah. There was always just one of those toys that was around when I was a kid, but nobody actually ever played with or knew how to play. It's because we played with pogs like cool kids. There Thank you, you very much. See? Generational differences. That's because you're younger. See? Lizzie and I were playing Pogs in the corner, and you were, you know, doing your Pokemans. It's fine. Tamagotchi probably (laughs) first. I did both. I did all of those. Thank you very much. Yeah, I did too. I'm just, you know, I just, I just let me be a boomer, okay? Sorry, Lydia. His talk would have been so much better without that music in the background. (laughs) It's a perfect microcosm of their whole relationship, though, that this whole conversation would go much better if you would do it together. Mm-hmm. If you would have this conversation with both of you and the child at the same time, I think you could avoid some of these pitfalls. Also, Maybe. what the fuck is a banana fish? I ask again. Is it related to the banana phone? Like, did we ever get a satisfactory answer on what a banana fish is from the last time she called her that? Because I don't understand it as a nickname. I don't know if we ever actually like really discussed the banana fish in depth. Maybe she likes bananas and really likes fish as well. Um, so. It was a Japanese manga series. From 1985 to 1994. There it is. That's that's what they're referring to for sure. Rachel Rachel Green. Weeb. I couldn't say that with a straight face. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's all I get when I search banana fish. It's just weird. It's all I'm saying. From there, we get Benton showing up for dinner at Vucilich's house. And he walks in, and Jeannie is already there, and she looks really, really nice in the dress that she's wearing. Uh, excuse me, you had the notes that Jeannie looks smoking in that dress. <laughs> you Thank know you what? Very much. I was toning it down so people could read the notes and get something a little bit different. <laughs> Plus, I, our our listeners don't need to know how hella gay I actually am. <laughs> You're marrying me. My point is, they don't need to know how hella gay I actually am. Again, my point stands. Look, you know, anyway. Jeannie, she thought she might need it, so she brought it. It's a recent divorce. It's really bringing out all that, right? She's, big dick she's stepping out. <laughs> it's just, it's just really nice to see her in something other than her ER outfit. She looks good. She cleans up nice. Anyway, <laughs> is it just me, or does Vucilich sound like a fucking Bond villain in that clip? Like he's just very over enunciating yes. a lot. And Bloody freaking duh. Yeah. He's like that doesn't sound like him normally, right? No, no, yeah. He's definitely putting on a weird affectation there. Like I to me it sounds like the the cadence and the like way he's kind of talking through his teeth a little bit, it kind of sounds like what fifty cent would sound like as a Bond villain. Like <laughs> like faux British affectation. Like 
Sons of just ah, just stop. Talk normal, you freak. You can find him in the cigar club, bottle full of brandy. <laughs> like that whole that whole scene there makes I think the best argument for Eat the Rich that I've ever seen. Like I hate yeah. everything about that scene. I hate the music in the background. I hate his stupid library. I hate his stupid alcohol decanter thing. Like I just I hate all of it. He's like, oh, I have Cuban It'll cigars. M- Fuck off. I hate rolled you. on the thighs of virgins. Yes, yes. It'll make me feel better if this is next to you. It's like, it's just oh, it's like um, it's it. The voice it reminds me of in Ferris Bueller's Day Off when they're calling and pretending to be rich so they can get into the <laughs> restaurant. Abe Froman, the Sausage King of Chicago. Exactly. We need uh, Daniel's, uh, the popular court co-host, Jake, to come in and <laughs> come on. And uh, I feel like this is an appropriate place for his uh, Bernie impression. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. Good afternoon, STT listeners. I am Bernie Sanders bringing you a delightful holiday greeting. Of course, the right which have you believe that we have declared war on Christmas. I just wanted to bring it to your attention that that is absolutely 100%, and you can ask my wife when she gets back from bingo, it is 100% correct. Fuck Christmas, because I am a Jewish man who celebrates Hanukkah. Is that pronunciation a little anti-Semitic, potentially. Do I feel a little guilty about it? Very much so. But we move on. We digress. Because for too long has the mistletoe been kept away from the common man. For too long have we been dividing the mistletoe to the upper class. Well, let me tell you. When I inevitably run for Congress or President again in 2024, and when I lose, let me tell you that my platform is going to include mistletoe for the everyman. No longer are we going to reserve it for the upper class. So what that they can use Altoids because I, as an older gentleman, use Altoids. They were invented in the 1830s because, yes, I am older than the concept of a nickel. We're going to bring mistletoe to the everyman that we may be able to kiss each other in happiness unless, unless it is an inappropriate time. And I'm looking at you, Joe Biden. I promise you that we will bring mistletoe to the everyman. And if you feel threatened by Joe Biden, I Bernie Sanders will bite him on the knuckles. Thank you. Oh, here we go. (sighs) Literally the only redeeming part of this entire episode comes in the last minute and a half. I don't know. The Morgan Stern stuff is pretty great. Yeah, the Morgan Morgan Stern Stern stuff is is fun. This is is the only thing that I think is important to carry on from this episode, though. Like, everything else Mm. I feel like is very dispensable. Come on. Cutting the haggis isn't, like, the the top five most memorable moments of ER history. More like top five anime betrayals because I never want to see a haggis being cut ever again. Or say the word haggis, for that matter. My, 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 isn't it? If it isn't the consequences of your own actions. <laughs> Whenever I'm mad at you now, I'm just going to go call me Mr. Rubadoo. <laughs> call me Ms. Linton Scott.
<laughs> no, it's gonna be call me Mr. Rubadoo. <laughs> Carter's heel turn in this episode, just coming out of left field. Mm-hmm. Just and then it resulting in this. I feel like you could have used a, like another episode or two of like checking in, like having having Carter and Ruby be like minor side characters. Right. And checking with the storyline and see Carter's frustration grow with Ruby. Like here, it just like like I said earlier in the episode, it just comes out of fucking nowhere and it makes no goddamn sense for Carter's characterization and uh, I, I I hate it. I have a linguistics question. Those are all very good points and I agree with you. But I have a linguistics question. Yeah. Is heel turn from wrestling? <laughs> yes. yes. Is that's 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 a wrestling term because I've just heard it used generally and I get it now. Yeah. Yes. Okay. It's absolutely. I before I got hooked on this wrestling, damn you both! I thought heel turn was just you turned on your heel and did a one eighty. Nope. Now I understand it means you're a bad guy. You turn into a heel and you're a bad guy. Yeah. Fuck all y'all. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Guys, they've gotten me watching wrestling and I can't stop. WWE Network during quarantine is a hell of a drug. All right, and we open on a wintry Chicago lakefront with someone jogging along. And oh, look, as we zoom in, it's Mark. And he has very interesting 90s jogging attire, I noticed. Like, this isn't a typical outfit that you'd see somebody today necessarily jogging on the lakefront in in cold weather, I don't think. No. It's... It's kind of a dorky look. There's no um, tech fabrics. There's no Nike logos right. or Under Armour. Sweat or is not being wicked right now. Exactly. <laughs> um, and we noticed that he was jogging north near the Oak Street Beach. So, like, just north of the Mag Mile, if you're... Yeah. I don't know if you've ever been to Chicago in the Mag Mile. That's what it's called. It's called the Magnificent Mile. I know. And, and I and everyone... maybe because I'm an out-of-towner, I would call it the Magnificent Mile. I don't know if I've ever referred to it as the Mag Mile. <laughs> it's what it's on in, like, every map. It's it's fine. Huh, it's okay. a thing. Listeners, back me up here. But he gets the R groaning and stretching like you do after running. Running sucks. He's like, I love it when those endorphins kick in. Yay. And it's his day off. But he's in the ER like a weirdo. He's just really milking those stretches, too. He wants people to know he ran there. Mm. Uh, again, Swall. Doing, doing, doing eight miles a day. It's good. Yeah. It's good. To be fair, that's how ass. I sounded after my workout today. So, <laughs> But you're doing yoga. Fair. Um, but yeah, everybody looks at him like he's a freaking weirdo, too. For for a multitude of reasons on this day. Yes. I was going to say, I think it's Chuni who is like, he came in on his day off. That's sad. And I'm like, oh, honey. In like two more seasons, he, that sad is going to be your like <laughs> your ill-advised fling. Your catnip. From that startling and disorienting sequence, we have Carrie is walking down the hall with Susan, who is pulling the ultrasound machine for her gallstone patient, and Carrie pulled the chart on said patient, Miss D'Angelo. Um, so Carrie pulled Miss D'Angelo's chart. Um, she noticed that Miss D'Angelo has been on cefoxetin, and Carrie suggests, oh, cefotaxime. How did she say it? It's it's very similar, but like two letters off. Yeah. Cefotaxime, however the hell you say it. Um, she she just points out that there's a um, another very similar sounding antibiotic that's better for biliary penetration. 
And she's, she's like, you know, I know there's a lot of antibiotics and they sound very similar, but as chief resident, it's well worth your time to memorize the names and Aye. what they are. <laughs> and, and then she goes on to say, like, you know, oh, your, su- your patient only has one of the three symptoms that would require an ultrasound for blockages. She probably doesn't need one. If you're going to be chief, you've got to watch the bottom line. Which... <laughs> like it's not just her her choice of words it's her the way she says them like, yeah like as she's talking, like, if you're gonna be chief you gotta watch the bottom line and whatever this bitch is in pain or yeah said so this woman's this in pain. bitch is in pain <laughs> fuck you what and whatever this woman's in pain and <laughs> she has insurance at least That'll cover it because Medicaid, you don't pay for a goddamn thing like out of pocket, thankfully. Just the whole point is because you're fucking poor because you don't have money to pay for medical bills. So, yeah. So it's like, why are you worrying about the bottom line when she's just going to use an uh, ultrasound machine for like a minute? Just build the insurance and move on with your day. Who knows? It could help. It can do nothing but help. God damn it, Carrie. God, (laughs) God damn it, Carrie. One more time. God damn it, Carrie. (laughs) Chloe's off the hook. We're getting. (laughs) <laughs> We've moved on to goddamn Carrie. Oh no. <laughs> Day just keeps getting better and better and fuck. Is this why it's called it ain't easy being green? I wondered yep. why they called it that. That's green with an E, just FYI, in case, <laughs> case, in case any, you didn't notice it in your case anyone thought Kermit was gonna be guest starring on this episode. Yeah. Kermit the Doctor here. What? That was actually a pretty. That good was a very good Kermit. Oh, you're welcome. It's better than your Goofy. Thank you, thank you. I'm here. All, I'm here. I'm quarantined here all week. <laughs> yeah, much better than the Goofy "Wake Me Up" cover. Oh no! Wake me up. <laughs> Get me out of this apartment. <laughs> the surgeon's lunchroom is fancy as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. It's vi- like holy shit! It's very like first class on the Titanic fucking bunch of rich assholes doing rich people things talking about their stocks and their grand pianos exactly stocks stocks <laughs> so we go from there back to susan talking with her gallstone patient mrs d'angelo uh who bails out because susan says that uh they're not going to be they're not going to do the first she tries to sell it as they're not going to do the ultrasound because they don't think it's necessary um but susan can't really sell the lie and she's like yeah we're not gonna do it because they're not gonna like they don't want to justify the expense which rightfully pisses this lady off who is in pain and she's like i get it i know how this i know how this whole song and dance goes i'm out of here and it's just like yeah this is our this is our like the problem with the system patient for this week and uh as per usual there's not much in the way of solutions it just kind of sucks we go from there to back to carol uh, uh checking in on the worms uh they've discovered the worms uh, out by the dumpster outside and they've been out there for quite a while and what i really like about this is how they treat this both here and as we go forward they treat it almost like a trauma like they kind of film it yeah they kind of film it like a trauma too and i really enjoy how full force they go with this like they really commit to the joke and commit to the bit and i really like it Carol's like barking out orders. She's like, go, you know, go get some blank uh, warming blankets and one of those warming lamps that they use for the newborns. They get them into the, the trauma room and the, the lid is frozen solid onto the, 
the uh, bucket so they have to like force it off and when they finally do get it open uh the whole thing is like frozen solid and it's just it's not it's not good and then i think it's susan who comes in like halfway through and she's like what do we got because she just assumes that it's like a real (laughs) trauma because that's kind of how they've been behaving like they were rolling this thing down the hallway yelling and screaming so she comes in ready to like get to work and carol's like yeah we got a bucket full of frozen solid earthworms and susan's like what the fuck dude like i'm a doctor it's just really i enjoy the bit very much like the it's because they commit so hard to it that i think it works yes for sure i just love the intensity that they do the whole thing (sighs) you want to you want to go into this one not really you want me to do it no i'll do it (laughs) happy pride month everyone Um, jesus timely so doug yeah, so uh, dog, uh, dog, dog, dog. <laughs> A little Freudian slip there. That's fine. Then we go over to the autopsy of Alan, and Mark pops in. It's and we have the first appearance of our of a recurring uh, character, the mortician. Uh, who plays her, Daniel? Yeah, the mortician, Doctor Upton, a recurring character who honestly is not as recurring as I thought she was. Like, yeah, I see that. Yes, yeah, so this is her first of only seven appearances uh, through about two thousand and three. So that's going to put us right around season nine or so. So if we're in season two here, that basically means she's going to show up about once a season, uh, which is crazy. I definitely thought she was somebody that they went to at least a few times a season, but apparently not. Um, She's played by an actress named Megan Cole, who has a very interesting filmography. She only has 15 appearances total as an actress, um, but she picks her spots really well. Um, She's appeared in stuff like L.A. Law, Seinfeld, uh, Star Trek Next Generation, as well as Deep Space Nine, in addition to uh, ER. And she's just a very, like, interesting character. Um, She has a very interesting voice and cadence, the way she talks um and she's just got a really like cool look about her like she's got the real short crop haircut and it's kind of like salt and pepper hair like she's just a very interesting character she's the kind of character that like you don't get to see very often but you immediately every time you do you want to know more about and i think that's like the that's what that's what you strive for with a side character you you want to be drawn in by them speaking of we haven't seen our radiologist in forever x-ray steve, steve. Yep. He's still around. He has not been bobbed, but yeah, he's very infrequent appearances. Doug comes back to talk to Ray, and as he comes back, um, Ray's dad is there, and is they're getting ready to leave. They've both got their jackets on, and Ray's like, oh, it's probably just the trigonometry. It's fine. I think it's just stress. Like, it'll be okay. And um, his dad's like, really? You think that's what it could be? And Doug's like, yeah, it could be that, or, you know, it could be some other things, you know. Ray, if you need to talk about this or anything else, you just call me here, okay? Even though I've completely failed you in this moment, It's like, yep, too little too late, Doug, but good on you. An attempt was made. So a little silver medal with you tried, engraved on it. Then after that, we sort of uh, get our next little bit of uh, the Benton and Uselich storyline. He's... And Vuce goes to Vuselich's office to pull Mrs. Rubidoux's file, and while Vuselich's assistant goes um, to go over some scheduling things with Vuselich behind, so behind her back, uh, Benton takes several files from the cabinet, not just Mrs. Rubidoux's. He takes a comedic amount of files, like to the he point. He takes like twenty. To it's the, only like five. But it's like I just th- like after a certain because he pulls them all out individually, 
And so like at a certain point I was just like, we, we really should just cut to a sight gag where he's walking down the hallway, like trying to balance this gigantic stack of files <laughs> and he's dropping them and like, okay, it wasn't that bad. You guys are overreacting. No, no, like, no, no. I'm just saying you like, you need to, you need to establish a the, pattern. A pattern. No, I, I get it. No, I get it. It's just, it was a lot. It was a lot. Yeah. So two or three ain't going to cut it. You're right. Now who's being pedantic? I'm just being logical. I'm not being pedantic. God. Carol stops by the desk and she's got like a little like, kind of like a little like Chinese food takeout container full of worms. Uh, She got some worms from Miss Henry. Uh, The worms burrowed into like the core of the bucket. And so they were able to kind of bundle together for heat and manage to stay alive which is pretty cool. Uh, so she, uh, as a thank you, Miss Henry gave her some of the worms to start her own colony. So that's pretty cool. Uh, uh, can I correct something there? And then we there? jump quickly. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Uh, she fucking lied to Miss Henry. Those worms, she had no idea. Oh, you're right. You're absolutely right. Carol stole those. You're absolutely right. She did steal them. Fuck. Sorry. I, can't I just I like that. Latent thievery. Carol's a thief and a fraud uh sorry no 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 you're you're absolutely right thank you for checking me you are absolutely right so we go back from there to back to benton who is now holed up in his office pouring over these study files that he is commandeered and carter bursts through the door to apologize for not getting his stuff done on time and so like as he bursts through the door benton kind of does the like little kid with a porno mag thing he kind of like pulls it down off the desk and is like i'm not doing anything and carter's Carter's just in his own world and is like, yeah, I'm sorry for not doing my shit on time. And Benton's like, it's fine, whatever, just leave. Like, I have more important things to do. And then just as he's about to leave, he's like, Carter, what time did you get whatever done? Or did you get something done on time? And he's like, yeah. And then leaves. And then comes back two seconds later and he's like, no. (laughs) Like, he gives him a chance. (laughs) Gives him a chance not to lie. He's still chooses to lie so it's like great job carter you're doing you're doing you're doing fantastic sweetie um like i almost i almost wonder because like you know we open we open the episode with the the assistant coming into the office and waking him up with benton up um and then she's like oh don't worry about it i'll take care of it and then the next time we see his office is emptied out so i almost wonder if he he sniffed it out before he missed that surgery like he realized the pattern of like all the case files that were missing from his records were the ones that had been pulled from the study and so like i wonder if he smoked that out and just sent the assistant to go clean up his shit and get him out of there go confirm it i'm wondering that or if she noticed it when she was putting them all back and like let him know before benton got to him true yeah some shady shit going yeah. on there. Either way, in this case, snitches don't get stitches. Stitches, I mean, snitches lose their job. Snitches, <laughs> snitches, snitches don't get to do stitches because he doesn't get to do. Uh, I was gonna say snitches don't give stitches. Well, that that works too. Ah, uh, words are hard. Yeah, I know. Snitches and stitches are somehow involved. Yeah. So we go in with some bangs. Cool. Cool. And then Susan, kind of apropos of nothing, despite of the, despite the entire conversation she had with Mark earlier and, and all sort of wisdom to the contrary, Ugh. she decides to tell 
Nathan that Angel has AIDS and that he needs to get tested and which leads him into a really sort of like painful moment where he's like did could I have it or did I give it to her and like she's like there's no way to know that unless you get tested and blah 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 and it just brings up like these very interesting like ethical questions like obviously he has a right to know from a a personal health standpoint but then there's also her privacy to consider and like I don't know like what what did you all think about it uh well first off I wanted to note that um minor thing uh Susan says that there's no way to know who would have given it to who if they both have it yes no yeah you're right sorry um but also yeah I I think that you know as much as I think you know partners need to communicate and Angel should tell him because she's putting his health at risk I also think Susan definitely overstepped her bounds yeah that's basically my opinion as well yeah it's a big time gray area not great um correct me if i'm wrong is there not a is there is there not a law though that says that if you are hiv positive and or aids positive and uh are are aware like knowingly aware of that fact and you don't disclose that to your partners that that is in and of itself a crime or am i making that up that sounds vaguely familiar like I feel like but, I've I've heard that, but again, like that's not I I don't have experience with it personally. Like I sh- probably should have asked Jen about this, but like, it I feel like I've heard that before. Where if somebody is if they're aware that obviously if you're not aware that's that's a whole other issue. But like if you're not a, if you're aware of it and you intentionally don't disclose that to a sexual partner that that it is in and of itself a crime and. I don't know. It's it's just it's another one of those just fucked up situations all the way around. Like Susan's in the wrong here. She the angel is in the wrong. Like everybody everybody's fucked up. Everybody's fucked up in this situation. So from what I was able to find in 21 states, laws require persons who are aware that they have HIV to disclose their status to sexual partners, and 12 states require disclosure to needle sharing partners. Several states criminalize one or more behaviors that pose a low or negligible risk for HIV transmission. The maximum sentence length for violating an HIV-specific statute is also a matter of state law. Some states have a maximum sentence length as high as up to life in prison, while mm-hmm. others have maximum sentence lengths of a, that are less than 10 years. However, only seven states have laws that account for HIV prevention measures that reduce transmission risk, such as condom use and antiretroviral therapy. But suffice to say, like, it, at, at best, it's kind of, a, again, it's a moral ethical thing, and then there could also be a legal component, too, depending on what state they're in, so... Yeah, they said that it was a it was a um a state's response to the HIV epidemic to try and um deter high risk behaviors. Regardless, it's a dick move. To not disclose? Yeah. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I would agree with you on that. Always get tested, always disclose with your partners. Do yourselves a favor. Um communication is your best friend, guys. Hi, I'm Lauren. I'm your podcast <laughs> mom. Do what I tell you. Clean your room. Get some water. I'm losing my mind. And I have to notice, whose films are those? Not this guy's. Not this guy's. Uh, And then Mark remarks as they wheel the guy out of the room, uh, Peter, we have some other sick people down here if you want them to. And that leads us right into the intro. Which we are in with some bangs. 
the twinkles have been sparse again this season. We've got some, but and it's increasing from season one, but we're still on the bang train. And we are on the bang train, <laughs> on the bang really. Train. <laughs> really I, as as it was coming out of my mouth, I knew it was a bad choice, but I committed. Um This is a family friendly show, Lauren. No, it's not. Go I... fuck yourself. Fair. Uh, but then we, uh, oh, uh, guess who shows up next? Uh, is it, is it a Bulls player? It is. Is it Michael Jordan? No. Dennis Rodman. Is it Scottie Pippen? It's Scottie Pippen. It's Scottie Pippen. Yeah. The second, uh, the, the most popular second banana. Uh, <laughs> cause Michael Jordan was the leader and Scottie Pippen was easily the number two of that team. The yes. number two guy on that team. But so. I don't get the second banana reference. His sidekick. Yeah, he was the sidekick. He was the. But I've never heard the term second banana. What? Yeah, never. I've heard second fiddle. I've never heard second banana. What the fuck is second banana? I have no idea the origins of it. I don't know. I don't. I don't like how passionately you are uh, upset about second banana. Yet you weren't not this passionate about banana fish. I I find that to be very fishy. No pun intended. I'm fucking Googling this. Yeah. You guys had to be But here. anyway, Jerry's smelling cigars, and Scotty Pippen shows up to thank him for yesterday, and Jerry runs to tell all of everyone, like, Jesus Christ, fucking Scotty Pippen's here. Oh, my God, oh, my God, one of the most popular people in the world is here. And no, everyone just sort of brushes him off because they're all super busy, like Mark and Susan are elbows deep uh, with, an, with, uh, their, with a pregnancy. Uh, Wendy and Jerry runs back to the desk and Mr. Pippin is gone and Wendy's and just like where the fuck did he go? Wendy uh, says kind of a tall guy. Uh, he told everyone to say thanks and and Mr. Pippin is gone. What's your what's your Google foo? Re- re- that it's a real expression that I've just never heard before <laughs> at 28. Uh, what the fuck? Your entire worldview is crushed. It's really I'm struggling with this right now. You guys might have to do the rest of the episode without me. So we go to the mother with drug issues delivery, and she has a healthy baby girl, it appears, normal weight, normal size. Um, You know, Doug helps with the delivery and mentions, you know, we can't be sure what developmental defects or other issues she might have, so we have to take her up to the NICU and, you know, check her out there. And the mom is crying and sobbing and being like, you know, what what about my baby? When, When will I get her back? Will I get her back? what's going to happen and Doug's like you'll probably get her back he says with the most begrudging white knight fucking yeah like, he's like yeah you'll probably get her back you fucking drain on society like he's just such an asshole when it comes to this shit yeah Doug's kind of a racist a little bit like a little yeah. bit cause it's really more than anything it's it's these black patients that he really doubts yeah. like with the dad with the cocaine mm-hmm. this the ones that really stand out to me, Doug's kind of a bit of a racist. And he's been called on it before. Like, I forget who it was, whether it was Halle or Connie, but one of I them. I think it was Connie. One of one of the two nurses called him on it at one point, and he got very offended. Yeah, it was it was that episode with, with the, with the, with the, um, the dad with the daughter with the cocaine overdose. Yeah. Where she was like, if this was Becky from the suburbs, you wouldn't be doing this. So yeah, it's Doug. Doug's a bit of a racist. Yeah, he's not quite a Shep racist, but he's definitely got some of those biases ingrained. Huh, Daniel, enlighten us. 
Yeah, Daniel, why is that? What's your pedantic? I'm, I'm dying to know. <laughs> All right, but, but before I do, because I, I will admit, it's a very, very stupid, very pedantic thing. So I do want you to get any legitimate thoughts you might have about this interaction out of the way, because you're not going to want to talk about this scene ever again after I get done with it. So uh, is do you have any thoughts just on this, just generally? I had um, kind of, let's make it about me again. Uh, <laughs> I kind of had a flashback to my own not childhood, but adolescence reckoning kind of with when I had a more troubled relationship with my father and it's like, you know, he'd remember something so fondly and I'd be like, oh yeah, you mean when you lost your house or stuff like that, where it's just like that, that bile Hmm. of just like, no, every, like, I'm just going to taint everything because you're remembering it the way you want to. I'm remembering it the way it actually impacted me. Right. So goddamn, I mean, go Doug for sticking to your guns. Lizzie, did you have anything before I completely ruin this scene forever? No, I'm just, I'm genuinely curious. <laughs> yeah. So right. I, I, any, any thoughts I had about the scene are overridden by my curiosity I have right waited, now, so please. Especially with the, with the capital letters. <laughs> I have waited until 40 minutes into the, the airtime of the episode. Forget about how far we are into this episode before I bring it to a fucking screeching halt here. Uh, so if you will remember back at the very beginning of the episode, like first five minutes when Doug comes in uh he's talking to Jerry and Jerry says hey uh you still have an extra ticket for the Bulls Spurs game this weekend or whatever whenever he says it is and we go out from there so at 4110 is your timestamp. if you look uh Doug puts the tickets down on the bar to give them back to his dad uh and you get a nice close-up of the tickets and so I did the responsible thing and I paused it and <laughs> got as close as I possibly could to it. The tickets uh, clearly say Bulls versus Phoenix Suns, so that's the first problem. Uh, okay. Second problem here is that the tickets say Sunday in January, and this episode takes place, we've established, on or about Valentine's Day. So these tickets are no longer good anyway. Another third level of pedantry that I went to for this, um, I went back and checked, and the Bulls were either on the road or off every Sunday in January of 1996. So these tickets are 100% grade A bullshit, and I'm done. (laughs) Oh, wow. You did your homework. I really did. I went all out for this one. Shout out to basketballreference.com for giving me those 1996 Bulls scores that I was ever so thirsty for. Oh, you know, my only response to that is, Daniel, it's a goddamn TV show. <laughs> look, I can't judge because look at the shit I scream. If they're going to so. give me a close up on the tickets, like I had to check like and it was the first thing that caught my attention. Like I said, they got the opponent wrong that Jerry called out at the beginning of the episode. That's the first problem. I was a little mad that I couldn't get the exact date because there's a paperclip on the tickets that obscures the like month date but you can clearly see it says january 1996 so the tickets are already useless anyway so it's you know come on guys it's devil's in the details here so okay so you can be so now what what category okay so lauren has her films (laughs) i have my chicago geography apparently mine is very niche it's very it's sports ticket printing pedantry which i can't imagine is going to come up in very many episodes but damn it i did the work for this one okay you you had um you had belt gate i did have belt gate but you know green seems to have learned from that so 
He's he, no longer a beltless motherfucker. Yeah, he, he learned. So we'll see. Maybe, you know, Doug's dad will learn. I think he's only got one appearance left, so we'll we'll probably find out in short order whether or not he's learned his lesson of trying to pass off counterfeit Bulls tickets on his... Maybe that's the thing. Maybe it's a deeper layer of storytelling where it was like <laughs> he gives back these obviously <laughs> counterfeit Bulls tickets. See, that's really what it is. It's not that I'm being pedantic. It's that I've... I've uncovered 4d chess level storytelling by the er writers jesus christ daniel <laughs> jesus christ he gave him shitty tickets so he would come exactly, back exactly yes okay so from there um <laughs> we get might not be so great there shep <laughs> this is some great performance from him though yes yeah i would argue this is probably his best that we've seen thus far like does he's at, he, you make you care about him more in this moment than you have at any other point at least i have he's actually given some dramatic gravitas to work with yeah yeah it, it's good stuff from him it, i think overall this episode is a really strong ship kind of showcase which we haven't had previously and i actually need to mention before i forget any further a patron of ours and a follower of ours on Instagram, Corinne, um, she pointed out to me that Juliana Margulies and Shep's actor, Ron Eldard, they were actually a couple in real life for like, I think like 12 years or something like that. And it was all during this time too. Like, I think they dated from like 1991 or two until like 2003. So it kind of makes sense that they had, you know, a decent amount of chemistry because they were actually a couple in real life at this point. So that's, I just thought that was pretty cool. Shout out to Corinne for pointing out to me what was already on the Wikipedia page. So, you know, definitely good job for me in the research department of noticing that. <laughs> uh, but in any, Shit happens. in any event, best Shep episode, I think thus far, uh, um, this one. Daniel? Yes. Could we almost consider this a Shep episode? That's, I'm not going to acknowledge that with a response. I'm just going to move on and pretend you didn't say it. So, uh, Although I, I, would, I would like you to say uh, Shep Showcase five times fast. Shep Showcase. Okay, so... Um, and then we cut over to one of the kids that they brought in is seizing. Um, I know Doug is... They're just sort of going over... He just has a laundry list of problems going on mm-hmm. with him and... It's to the point where uh, they determine that he needs a hyperbaric chamber, which they only have at the University of Chicago. So I mean, I feel like that's such a highly specialized piece of medical equipment that that's something that not necessarily every hospital would be yeah. equipped with. Which, if you don't know what that is, it's essentially the modern version of an iron lung. Yeah. So, so which, as someone who's claustrophobic, terrifies the ever-loving shit out of me. <laughs> Yeah, I had a hard enough time getting my MRI for my back. Yeah, I've had several MRIs and I've panicked several times during them. And honestly, if you if you ever have to put me into one of these, just just let me die. I'm fine. I'm just because I'm pretty because I'm pretty sure if I woke up in one of these, I would just. Has anyone ever used a podcast as a justification for a DNR before? I don't know that they have. (laughs) Hey, you know what? I have some paperwork on file. (laughs) Thank you very much. You good? Yeah. Aside from that horrifying realization. All right. Um. But yeah, this one feels like less, just even before we even get started, this one feels like less like an episode and more just like a series of shorts. Like, does that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's very frenetic, very, I don't know. It, it's hard to describe. One of the weirder ones we've had so far, I think. Okay, so we open with Bad to the Bone playing and Mark riding with his new bike with a helmet. Um, Jerry greets him as he pulls into the ambulance bay with How's the Biker Life? 
And as Mark is taking off his helmet, he responds, Jerry, I feel like a hell's angel. And Lizzie emphatically noted he has the goatee. He has the motherfucking thing. <laughs> Jesus Christ. The I was first, wondering when it would show up. The first line of my note says, oh no, the goatee. <laughs> I don't mind it. I literally uh, took a picture and sent it to sent it to uh, Daniel and our popular court co-host, Jake Terrell. <laughs> I love that we drop his full name every time we do that. Um, <laughs> we don't talk about our full names on this show, but we just drop Jake's all the time. Yeah. Um, He's going to be a lawyer, whatever. It's fine. But yeah, so Mark has his goatee, also wearing contacts. And Jerry responds, I hate to break it to you, Dr. G, but an angel wouldn't be caught dead on a rice burner. Which feels vaguely racist. A little. Like, is that like... I'm assuming he's saying that it's a Japanese-made motorcycle. Yeah. Yeah. It's more the fact that it's more more of an Asian uh, motorbike than an actual motorcycle. Fair enough. Yeah. Just uh, green. You're you're in full midlife crisis mode. Like the goatee, he's earned it. The motorcycle, the contacts. Like he's got all of it. Soon he'll be da- soon he'll be dating a nurse. It'll be a thing. <laughs> oh boy. Hey STT fam, it is Lauren of Christmas Future here. Just want to wish everybody a happy holiday. Hope you're all doing well and enjoying. Whatever you get to enjoy this time of year. Um, we love you all and thank you again so much for making 2021 an amazing year for us. We hope you all have a happy holidays and a wonderful new year. One, I love how he's like, we could go away and find a lake. You live on Lake Michigan, <laughs> dumbass. A more private lake. Whatever. Two, kissing sounds are gross foley and do not yes. make good podcast audio. That's all I got. Oh, they are being cute. No, it's disgusting audio. Yes, that was very moist You're disgusting audio. audio. I know. I'm sorry, listeners. <laughs> um, but yeah, how do, how do we feel about this? All I can think about is sexy cows. <laughs> sexy cows. <laughs> yeah, her, I feel like her laugh there was very genuine. Like, yeah, that was a just a little laugh. almost snort. And a couple of quick hitters to follow that up. Uh, Doug has been denied the loan for young Bowman's cancer treatment, and Mark and Iris go to dinner. And it's very sweet. As they're walking out, um, Mark puts his hand on her back and, like, looks back nervously. And, like, I can't remember. I think Jerry gives mm-hmm. him a thumbs up. <laughs> Somebody does, yeah. And it's just really, really sweet. Like, it's it's just when a good Jerry's moment. Jerry's like, giving you team. the pep talk, the nonverbal pep talk. Like, you got this. You got this slugger. Well, you know, rumor has it Jerry's into some stuff. That has not been established yet. But, yes, you're right. We'll get there. We, I'm sure that'll be. I'm sure we're gonna have like a three-hour-long pot episode <laughs> that about that. About that episode's that, gonna come about to a bottle a episode. Halt. Here's oh, an important yeah. question: Do we get a special edition Team Jerry sticker for that episode, <laughs> featuring a gimp mask <laughs> of one of the, uh, the gag balls? <laughs> oh boy! Oh, I like that Harper calls him out on it, though. Yeah. He absolutely deserved yep. that. One hundred and ten percent. He's been a raging tool. So, did anyone catch? This is completely independent of um, Carter and Harper here. But did anyone catch uh, our first appearance of a future cast member in this scene? No. No. Is it the mime? It is the mime. I didn't catch who it was. Yep. The mime is played by an actor by the name of J.P. Manu, who we will meet again in season thirteen as Doctor Crenshaw. What? Yep. This is his first appearance. That's what? <laughs> this is his first appearance. Uh, 
no no telling if that's it's meant to be the same character i can't imagine that it is um <laughs> but yeah he will return in seasons 13 and 14 as dr dustin yeah. crenshaw yeah um we will not never be interviewing him for a bonus episode because uh, rather upsettingly he was charged in canada in 2015 with voyeurism uh, after allegedly recording two women who had rented his toronto condo big old yikes whoa buddy yeah no fuck that guy yeah maybe don't record people without their consent yeah that that seems like a the charges were eventually dropped but he was eventually convicted of a lesser charge so there's definitely a little bit of fire Ugh. with that smoke so so sh- so yeah. shit happened shit happened gross Ugh. i knew i hated miles <laughs> But yeah, this is the first appearance of what will eventually be a future like recurring cast member. I would not have guessed that. And we open up with uh, Shep Riley and Carol doing another ride along. Uh, they're on a quick call to a blown water heater. And that's about all we get out of that. Um, and then after that, uh, we have Doug answering the phone in his dad's room in bed. And with his dad's woman all over him. And gratuitous side boob abound <laughs> all around. Yeah, that primetime side boob. Exactly. Uh, the passes the phone. The Doug is for the woman whose name is Karen Hines because she knows the business and no one can get a hold of his of of Ray. Uh, she has no idea where Ray is and knows the guy who called. And we miss him up here. She says as they are fooling around. And there's so much Clooney laugh in this scene. It's gratuitous. Like we think the side boob is a lot. The Clooney chuckle is. <laughs> everywhere yeah this 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 rubs me the wrong way the two of them i mean clearly they're rubbing each other the right way yeah but that's not what i just said i said they're rubbing me the wrong way that's what matters my opinion (laughs) matters more than the two of them get with the program it's weird don't like the idea of doug and his dad being eskimo brothers no not when she's like oh you know your dad's so great and so are you and you remind me a lot of him and just like yeah we're "Mm -hmm." not we're not exclusive it's (laughs) Ugh. To be fair, she is a very attractive woman. She is, but there's something gross. about the father something. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Fucking A, Shep. I also just wanted to get it though, I know, because I wanted someone on this podcast to say Dinkles. <laughs> I have to say, Dinkles Bakery has some of the best ginger snaps ever. I get them every year from the Chris Kindle market that Chicago does, and they're so good. I just... I, I feel it's like a silly name. I feel like we've gotten their donuts before at a work function, oh. but still, they're a good bait. They're a, they're a solid Chicago bakery. See, and I was with Lizzie. I didn't even know that it was a real thing. I just thought it was a funny word for a donut. So I, today I learned. It's a real thing. Shep's an asshole. Dinkles is real. Yeah. Two main uh. takeaways from that audio clip. <sighs> Riley's trying his best. He really is. Yeah, why didn't they replace Shep with Riley? I mean, okay, so spoilers. Uh, both of them will be gone in short order. Uh, I think Riley we lose next episode, and Shep we lose beginning of uh, season three premiere. Uh, so we're, we we are going to get new EMTs next season anyway, but, like, I don't know. Like, I would easily have gotten rid of Shep and kept Riley myself. Well, you're almost there. Like, he's <sighs> he's only really had one good episode like this whole season he's had one he's had a lot of good moments though i've lo- i loved a lot of his moments his overall storyline has been frustrating but and he's an asshole but like he has he has like golden retriever 
complex where every once in a while you're like, oh, he's really precious, but he peed on my rug eight times and I really can't deal with this. <laughs> and the pee was racist. And the pee was racist. <laughs> you you, you God. killed Lizzie. God damn it, Daniel. <laughs> Oh, look, Carter, you don't know everything. Boom. Turns out he did need that peds rotation, huh? How impressive is it like, that, that George Clooney's actually doing the wheelies in the wheelchair, in the wheelchair <laughs> yeah. there? I mean, he, there is basketball. precedent for it. He did it in season one when he played uh, basketball with Carter's butt. That's oh, that's true. right. That's very, very true. Yes, I completely forgot about that. Thank you for the reminder. I also wonder if that's part of why Carter was so pissed about having to do the peds rotation with Doug <laughs> if he's like, ugh, you fucked my girlfriend oh that's right Ooh, yeah <laughs> loose threads <laughs> well, abound in this storyline well not his girlfriend anymore that's true no, he got still, dumped at the end of the last episode still principle of the thing he's like i had your sloppy seconds and now i have to fucking do a peds rotation with you anyway i think he saw benton's potential and how hard benton worked and wanted to pat himself on the back for giving the nomination. Even though, like, oh, you know, I disagreed with this young man and we had professional differences and he couldn't be in my study, but that's no reason I can't give him a leg up here on his credentials. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's my view, Silich voice, but do you get what I mean where it was more to make himself feel better about yeah. kicking Benton off the study? Yeah, I see that. Also, your voice is not douchey enough. <laughs> yeah, that's fine can't win them all and so we've come to this hope everyone liked harper this makes me so mad this this is her last moment and it it is a moment it's it's a yeah it's it's a moment carter yeah just a very quick cut over to carter and harper and carter says oh he's gonna carter says he's gonna miss harper and she says oh yeah you should and shoves him and then she's gone forever she deserves so much better she really does deserve so much better it's this whole episode sucks for that reason like yeah it's it's the absolutely in my mind the most frustrating aspect of this episode is how insanely diminished harper is so spoilers for a future interview like we did get a little bit of inside information from the actress here christina lease who explained that you know there was she had an opportunity that came up that forced her to make a decision very quickly. And so she had to leave the show, you know, to go take this other opportunity. And that might have played a part in why her exit here is so abrupt. And, you know, maybe for all we know, maybe that opportunity and that whole situation played out in the time between when the last episode was produced and this one. But for my money or for my say like my own sanity and my own like wrapping my mind around how such a, a character that we've really I think has been one of our favorites this season oh easily just gets like completely short shafted here like if it was if this was what they were gonna do all along just let her go after she dumps Carter like make it so that she just yeah. never comes back and that's a much more satisfying ending and a much more you know it, I wouldn't have been happy about it but I wouldn't have felt as like just let down by the character's ending as I am here. Cause this sucks. This really sucks. She's on screen for maybe a minute total this whole episode. And we never see their reconciliation. She went from calling him a weasel and a shit bag yes. last time to, Oh, I'm going to miss you while you should. Uh huh. Punk. Yeah. <laughs> like it is. You're right. There's a whole part of that arc that's just missing. 
and it really sucks because she never comes back. She's never mentioned again. She's never, you know, and I get it. Like there's probably a dozen characters just like Harper throughout the course of the series. I don't mean like characterization wise, but I mean in terms of they're there for a while, they do a thing and then they're gone and that's great and that's fine. You always need characters like that, but like this is a character who I think deserved a little bit more or at least deserved to go out on her own terms. And this was, this ain't it chief. Like it just really ain't like this sucks. This puts such a sour note for me on the whole Harper arc because she was a character who I've, I've gone on record as before as saying that I did not fully appreciate when I watched the show the first time around. And I've really come to appreciate her as a character this time. And to see that she leaves with such a like wet fart is just like, not great and it really sucks yeah she ended up being a really good example of an outspoken young professional Mm -hmm. for women i think and just like she did a great job standing up for herself when the power structure might not necessarily agree with how things wanted to be done so i i really have come to appreciate her character from that perspective so you mean after all that to see her exit be handled with all the grace of a cheerleader twirling her hair next to the bleachers punching the the quarterback in the shoulder so it's so infuriating it's so infuriating because she spends so much time being a badass and then at the very last minute she's reduced to just like giving carter a playful shove on the shoulder before she just like gets snapped into dust And then from there, we have Mark and Jen discussing custody and the other divorce stipulations. And they're like, oh, let's split a piece of pie, rhubarb, okay? And the whole time, Jen is totally giving him, like, sexy eyes yeah, I was gonna say, pie. Is, is that what the kids are calling it these days, splitting a piece of pie? <laughs> yeah. One, one slice, two forks. Rhubarb. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't say rhubarb, rhubarb. like that ever again. <laughs> And yet she just did. After that upsetting pronunciation of rhubarb, uh, we go back over to Susan's, to Susan's patient. Susan's patient said uh, he cut off his pinky making a sandwich, but that doesn't line up with the fact that the guy is right-handed. So, hmm. And it's his right pinky. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And it's totally the blind wo- woman's victim from earlier. Su- and Susan is like, oh, yeah, we can probably uh, make this one fit and pulls the... the the finger that the woman gave her earlier out of her pocket, and just they do that just after restraining him. Yeah, like she's getting him into soft restraints as they're examining him, and she's like, "Oh yeah, this one will fit." Pulls it yeah. out, and he's like, "Oh shit, no, you can't do this!" And then Susan walks out, and as Susan and Hale are walking out, um, two cops come in. Yeah, and Susan was like, "That was worth it." <laughs> <laughs> it was cute, and then oh no. Mark and Jen slept together. It just won't end. I wanted to yell. I wanted to yell after this happened. I was <laughs> yeah. like, God fucking God. Yeah, so it, it goes to a shot of them in bed together. And Jen says, what am I going to tell Craig? And Mark just responds, well, you've handled that one before. Oof. Good clap back. I got to say. Yep. And then Jen's like, oh, is that what this was? Was this just revenge? Was this just you being mad at me? <laughs> And Mark's like, no, it was just a bad decision. As much as I hate your Vucilich, I love your gin. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad to amuse. But yeah, so they just are laying there wide-eyed and hating themselves. And then we go over to Doug and Karen walking into a jazz bar. And she drags him out to dance. And he's like, I don't want to. And she's like, no, come on, it'll be fun. And so 
they're dancing and having a good time and she is just all over him and what is her deal her just... deal is that george clooney is a sex machine <laughs> and she wants to put a quarter in <laughs> oh can i please send it to aaron before this episode because she my sister needs to hear that um i almost couldn't say it with a straight face <laughs> george clooney is a sex machine and she wants to put a quarter in And after that, we get our first little bit of uh, Carter this episode, still doing his little internship rotation thing in what's it to be able to graduate on time with uh, with Doug. Uh, they're treating a uh, young lady. She comes in with uh, fever and jaundice. She's brought. She's a play, She's a basketball player, mm-hmm. and uh, her coach brings her in. So and they have a basketball tournament on Saturday, and you know she's asking if she can play, and they're trying to figure out what the hell's wrong with her. And is this when the coach leaves? No, he leaves a little bit later. I don't know if we get that in the notes, though, but um, a little bit later on in the episode, in case I didn't get it in our notes, at some point the guy's like, hey, I have like 12 other kids at a motel that I have to keep an eye on. Who knows what trouble they're getting up to? Is she going to be okay here? This, This is just about when he leaves is somewhere between now and the next time we see TC. Yeah, that's her. That's her name, too. TC. And she's a little brat. (laughs) I mean, like she's got some shit going on you know she's yeah she's she's age appropriately bratty for a 10 year old who's in the hospital when she wants to be with her friends for the basketball tournament but she's a little brat i guess remember i i mock all children on this show it's like my (laughs) other 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 job on here it's it's panatic takes and making fun of children you know really really aiming high i really mm, setting the bar high on saying this it's really it's really the shine i bring to this show it's why you keep me on And after that, oh boy. Oh no. Oh dear. Oh my. Oh golly. Uh, gee willikers. Al Boulay, genies, separated. They're they're still separated. They're not like officially divorced yet. I right? believe so. Okay. He's, he, he says separated it uh, to somebody, I think to, to Weaver. Mr. Boulay uh, <laughs> shows up. No Lenten, just Boulay. I was about to say, it drives me nuts now because I look at Boulay and I'm like, no, it should be Boulenton, but that's not actually a character. It is Boulay. It's been and ruined Benton. forever. She nails it. Oh, that last part just gets me every time. But yeah, so with these therapy sessions, I'm just going to go ahead and say I'm probably the middleman on this. I think they're fine. I think they're wonderfully performed. I think they kind of impact the flow of the episode in a negative way, but all in all, I'm neutral on them because they're so well done. Mm-hmm. And I noticed during this one specifically, at one point, she's like fidgeting and walking around and she goes and she picks up a cigarette and her lighter and then she just sets them back down and keeps talking. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's not even like she thinks about it. It's not even like it's a second thought, like, oh, maybe I don't want this. It's just like they choreographed it and she just put it back down. When it's like, no, if you're in the middle of a therapy session and you want to stress smoke, you want to stress smoke. Unless her therapist doesn't allow smoking in the office, but I think we've seen her smoking in another one. That's my minutia for that. No, I think I think that's very I think that's very appropriate. Yeah. Whereas I'm in the camp of I, this is the only one that I like because it flows nicely. The rest of them are incredibly jarring, take you really out of the episode, and yes, they're acted they're acted well, but I think they're they're used too often in this episode for sure, and. 
I think there would there might have been better ways to convey the same sort of tone. Almost like a bottle episode. Yeah, but like within a normal episode and only cutting away to it every like ten minute like every five to ten minutes and it's really it's really weird. I think it would help if they had set up the context because I think part of why it's so jarring is because we don't have an exact situation of where she is or what she's doing. Yeah. Like if it started with her walking into the therapist's office, like at the beginning of the episode, and then we had the the um, through line there and back, it yeah, could work. Yeah, probably. But so now is as good a time as any to talk about this be- Do because it. of where we're where we're at in this whole thing, and we're talking about our feelings about it. Because I I'll say preface this by saying like I absolutely love these scenes. I love this episode. I think I, I texted you both after I watched it earlier this week that like, I think this is a late contender for my, one of my favorite episodes of the season. And a big part of that is how I feel about these scenes here. And hmm. at first it was just sort of, which I think we can all agree on that, that the performance of the scenes is done very well, whether or not you feel like it works in the overall narrative structure of the episode, you can have that whole debate. But I think we can all agree that, she does a really good job with that and it it gives a lot of depth and insight into where Susan's head is at right now. The theory that I have sort of developed about this, we sort of touched on this a little bit at the beginning with the whole, is it a therapy session or is she in a confessional? Like that sort of type of thing. And again, could be completely reaching here, but I think there's a little bit of symbolism with the changing outfits. I think, and, and also too with the way she talks to Mark in the preceding scene from this, I don't think Susan is actually in therapy or I don't think that she's actually going to therapy. I think that she knows she needs to go to therapy and I think that everyone's telling her she should go to therapy and in her head, she know. I, I think basically, I think she is imagining what therapy would be like and is having hmm. these conversations with herself. And that's why we never see the therapist. We never see her actually doing anything of consequence. She's just sitting there. Um, she'd never even smokes in the one scene. Like she interacts with her environment around her, but she never actually like does anything of consequence. Um, she drinks some coffee. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's not a perfect theory because the, the other, the other element of this is the clothing. You know, when she's talking about the start of everything, she's in the kind of very childlike overalls. When she's talking about her adolescence and their relationship with their parents, she's dressed as a moody teenager. When she starts talking about her professional struggles, she's dressed as a professional woman. Like there's definitely a through line there with the clothing. And about here is where it starts to drift a little bit because we do start to repeat some outfits and I'm going to chalk that up so that my theory holds up. I'm going to chalk that up to editing, but I definitely feel like there is an intentional, like there was an intentional decision not to show the therapist and whether that's because they felt like it didn't need it or whether they're trying to convey something deeper here that she isn't actually talking to a therapist rather than just expressing her own feelings inside of her own thoughts and her own conscience. I don't know. Like to me, it, it just like it works on a couple of different levels. And that's why I think I like this episode so much. I think I might want to rewatch it with that frame and see how I feel about it with that. But yeah, no, it's like Lost. They're just in purgatory all the time. <laughs> I've never actually seen Lost, but that's what I hear all the yeah. time. But yeah, that's my theory. So we go we go right out of the, the staff meeting uh, to the front of Carol's house where Shep is fixing his real, real piece of shit car in the driveway. He's 
supposed to be at his therapy appointment, which he is bailing on, and Carol kind of calls him out on it. And he uh, snaps back that she's starting to sound like Riley. Hey, we get a mention of Riley, even though he's never to be seen again. He kind of refuses to believe slash acknowledge that Carol lied for him because Carol is firmly starting to drift into the, like, now I feel bad for covering for you phase of things. Like, he's, uh, she's definitely no longer solidly in his camp. I definitely think you can see the cracks forming here. He is none too pleased with this revelation and just tosses his toolbox into the backseat and then drives away. So, and that takes us right into the intro with some more bangs. And out of the intro, we come over to Carter having a conversation with Benton about his graduation party. Yay, Carter, our, our little boy's growing up. <laughs> uh, he invites Benton to sort of stop by and meet everybody. And if he can't make the graduation, he can come to the cocktail party at six because, you know, Carter's family is rich motherfuckers. At the Drake, which is one of the most bougie and big hotels in Chicago. Which one is that? That's the one that's on um, Lakeshore, right as you hit that north end curve. Oh, the huge yeah. one as we're going south oh, into yeah, the city. Oh, yeah, on the S-curve into yeah, downtown. Okay, by Michigan yeah. Avenue. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Where the tea room is. Ah, yes. The one that you were looking at. Yeah, that one. Anyway, us being bougie city folk over here, or at least <laughs> pretending to. <laughs> what was that again? <laughs> All right, Dr. Do- Lich. <laughs> Y'all agreed to have me on this. Oh, um, sometimes I wonder why, but... That's not a big ask or anything, Loretta. No. I think it's sweet, though, that she thinks so highly of Mark, but, like, Jesus. Yeah. Like, what, what's he supposed to say to I mean, that? I mean, you know, say, you're, she's a single mother potentially facing her own mortality. You know? Yeah, she probably doesn't have a lot of options. Yeah. I think she would rather at least ask rather than being like oh they'll be fine they'll get put in foster care if something happens to me couldn't hurt to ask shoot your shot exactly especially when it comes to the welfare of your children now Lizzo's stuck in my head i haven't <laughs> listened to that song in probably two months and now it's back in my head and i need to listen to it right, 2020 sorry. don't be sorry about Lizzo. she's great yeah so this is our continuing the theme you know this is the end of the season we're wrapping up here uh this is our last appearance of loretta and you know, we don't know for sure. I don't think there's ever any verbal resolution to her story outside of this through Mark or whatever. But, you know, I can't imagine that this story probably had a happy ending. So it sucks. Anakin Skywalker gets adopted and goes to that's live with a space hobo. Yeah, that's true. Why did all of his stories end up with his mother dying and then him presumably going uh, on a murderous rampage? Is that what happens in the sequel to Jingle All the Way? You'd yes. have to ask. You'd have to ask Arnold. I'm not sure. Or Larry the Cable um, Guy, who I'm sure would probably be in Jingle all the way too. Yeah, Man, pay that. I'm sure that check is cashed just as much as the first one. <laughs> yep. Um, but then we have Carter goes back to check on TC. We find out her parents went to get something to eat, so he he goes to leave her so he can make graduation in a half hour. Okay, this is where he says he's got to leave for sure, and she waylays that by talking about how sick everyone in the ICU looks and that. Carter's like, well, they move you up here so they can really work on you and you can get better. And she says, oh, the boy next door didn't get better. And she's having kind of survivor's guilt about the idea of someone having having to have something bad happen so she can get a liver. And here is where we see Dr. Carter really start to come out. He's staying and straightforwardly answering this child's questions instead of rushing out the door 
and kind of sweeping it under the rug. Um, and he just kind of says, unfortunately, something bad is always happening to someone somewhere. Like, it's not going to be your fault if someone makes a liver available. It's just kind of the way it is. And he offers to stay with her until her parents come back. Our little boy's growing up right before our very eyes. And just uh, hearkening back to an earlier joke, uh, there actually is a jingle all the way to, and it actually stars Larry the Cable <laughs> hey, Guy. Hey, do I know my hey. sequel, my direct-to-DVD sequels or what? <laughs> oh. Totally didn't know that either. Pulled that right out of thin air. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you for doing the legwork on that because I never was going to look for that. So, Lizzie, I have to tell you, Lizzie started laughing while I was in the middle of that note read and I had to put a finger up to finish <laughs> and then look at their phone. It was like, I can't break this streak. I'm doing real well. That's amazing. Mm. And Morgan Stern goes, Well, I think Dr. Carter must have found a facial laceration to practice Z plasty on. <laughs> pinky's out monocles on sets, sets the diploma holder aside and moves on can somebody who and this i'm speaking to the listeners now can somebody who understands the like structure of a medical school explain to me why morgan stern is the one conducting graduation like it seems to me like the hospital and the medical school should be two separate things and that the hospital is just where carter is doing his residency and not, that is a very good point. Like, I don't understand why Morgan Stern is the one conducting graduation. But maybe I'm wrong. No, that, maybe maybe there is some, like, you know, overlap between those two entities that it makes sense. Like, if you've gone through medical school, was the guy who was in charge of your residency also conducting your graduation? Please let me know. At me. But uh, what Carter's actually doing is uh, he's still up in the ICU with TC and playing a card game. I think it, it looks like they're playing War. from I haven't played War in decades i I love war (laughs) nobody clipped that up (laughs) (laughs) oh fuck she loves the card game war mr black (laughs) jesus christ everything just feels right in the world i love how the season bookends it does such a good job with welcome back carter into john carter md yeah just about everything with that whole scene is perfect like it's so good the music is perfect the the weaving of different you know as he's interacting with different people is perfect like it's just all just mm, perfection we see e- we see e-ray at the admit desk who is he doesn't say anything but we see him it, yeah no he says he he tells him that ben left that package oh is him. that is that you right yeah, yeah, e-ray. E-ray. and he's he's in a, inexplicably dressed like he's auditioning for sergeant pepper like i don't know because he's e-ray this, i don't know what this outfit is that e-ray is wearing like it's very strange i just i love every part of this like it's it's, it's such so a good. such a perfect note to end season two on and i like that and again it is i'm the king of reading too much into things but i do feel like there's a nice little rhyme with Uh, what would eventually be the series finale here where Carter gets to end the series end the last episode of the series with there's a similar type situation of trauma is coming in now granted I think she's just starting out as a medical student at that point she's not full-fledged doctor but he gets to like invite Rachel to come along to work on this trauma and it's a similar type thing where like Susan's walking off to go do the trauma and then she calls back to Carter like hey are you coming it's a similar type thing in the series finale where Carter's running off to go do this trauma and calls back for Rachel. So it's, I think it's a nice little rhyme with the series finale. 
Yeah, I didn't. I didn't actually even ever think of that. That's actually really nice to really nice to think about. Nice little touch. Yeah. Wow, what a ride through season two. I I really hope that you have had even half as much fun listening to this episode uh, as I have putting it together. Uh, this is always fun for me to do a really uh, great way for me to see not only, you know, relive some of the, our favorite moments from, uh, seasons gone by, but also too to see how much we've grown as people and how our thoughts, feelings have changed, how our audio quality has changed. Thanks as always for sticking around with us through some of those early, we're getting better in season two. Uh, not many, not nearly as many hiccups as we had back in season one. Um, but, uh, not, not always, not always where we want to be, but, uh, we're always striving for perfection. Um, just a huge thank you to, um, I can't forget to thank once again, basic strawberry on the discord, uh, for helping me put this episode together. Um, did an amazing job scouring through all these episodes and pulling timestamps for me. And, uh, was just a big, big help. Um, but also too, for all of you who are listening, um, you guys make, make me want to make stuff like this. Um, it, it's always encouraging to hear feedback from you and, um, just know that you're enjoying it and know that you're uh, getting something out of it. If it helps spark a happy memory for you, particularly at this time of year, um, that's always a good thing. And I'm always happy to do that. And, uh, you know, if you're listening to this on the Patreon side, thanks for your, uh, continued support. We would not be able to do even close to, uh, some of the amazing things we've gotten to do so far, uh, without your guys's help. Uh, and if you're listening to this on the free feed, maybe consider tossing us a couple dollars every month over at patreon.com slash setting the tone podcast. You'll get to hear cool stuff like this. Uh, first you'll also get uh, two week early access to all the cast and crew interviews, full length season recaps, movie reviews, flash forwards, all kinds of cool stuff. Um, and who knows, we might even throw you a sticker or two. So, but I don't want to, I don't want to like plug my way through this. I really do genuinely want to say, uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being a part of this weird little project of ours uh, that just continues to grow and continues to amaze us in different ways that we never really thought was possible. And uh, one more time from myself, you've heard from Lizzie and her dad, uh, Lauren, Jake, I, I promise that was not actually Bernie Sanders, um, from everybody, uh, not only from the three of us, but just the t- extended STT family, uh, just have a happy, safe, healthy holiday season this year, and uh, let's try and make the best of what we can out of 2022. Bye, gang. Bye, gang.